That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails. It's your bitch, Christy Oxborough, and with me, as always, the love of my life, the Vin to my diesel, Miss Lauren Ash. How you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm I'm here. Hey, I'm great. Listen. Yeah. Well, I told you I teased before we started that we had to get started quick because I had something that was time sensitive. Yeah. So before the record, I crushed a nap, as I like to do. Of course. And when I woke up, I felt a little groggy. Now, what I didn't have in the house was any of my go-to Diet Coke, not paid by them. Love the product, though. Would happy take the money if they want to give it to me. Of course. Doesn't matter. So I just took a little boo to the McDonald's Mm drive-thru to get myself the largest Diet Coke that they have to offer. And what did I see when I drove up there? Well, this is a physical reveal, everyone, but I'll explain after we hear uh, young Oxborough's uh, response. What do I mm. see advertised? Oh, God, is that a Grimace shake? <laughs> it's the Grimace <laughs> birthday shake. <laughs> okay. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to taste it. Um, the color, adorable. Really cute. Yes. I did already eat some of the um, whipped cream off the top because I'm a monster and an animal, but I wanted to taste it. And give the people the real response in yeah. real time. Uh, now, my guess is, is that this is going to be grape. Oh, I. And I also want to make know. it clear. We do not get paid for this. We shouldn't be doing this. It's free advertising. People get lots of money for doing this organic brand <laughs> placement. <laughs> we just love McDonald's. Anyway. Would it kill them? I'm not even saying money. Coupons. I would take their money. Coupons. Coupons. Also, uh, Adam Rose, who does the the blue. I know him. The blue. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm. I'm. I was just more for the. Oh, for sure. The people. Sorry. The, yes. The, the the cardigan guy. Yes. Um. He got a little package from McDonald's recently. They sent him a blue cardigan that had like McDonald's logo on it. 
And I was like, guys. Uh, we will literally oh, take anything that they have to give. Other than maybe a slap yes. in the face. You know what I mean? Anything else I'm interested Somehow, I sadly think I'd take that. <laughs> well, if it's from Grimace in, in the suit, it would be adorable. <laughs> All right, here we go. Yep. Oh, it's thick. That's what she said. Thank you. I don't know what that flavor is. Well, most people don't know what Grimace is. <sighs> We did research and did find out he's he is allegedly a taste bud. A yeah. taste bud. Um Yeah, I mean, here's what I'll say. It's non-offensive. It doesn't taste bad by any stretch. Sure. It's it's like it's pleasant. But would I say that's grape? I don't know. And would I say it's something else? Also, I don't know. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. I mean, look, I'm gonna say it. I shouldn't. Um the thought of drinking a, a purple milkshake that's supposed to be in some way representative of Grimace <laughs> freaks me out to a level that I I can't. It does feel like, are we drinking his blood? Like, his are we jizz. drinking his... Oh, his jizz! <laughs> <laughs> you went blood, I went jizz. I thought we'd go the same somehow. Yeah, no. No, no, I... See, I've, I've seen Grimace in a whole new light since... You somehow manifested Grimm as getting more popular. I honestly, I got to say, the amount of stuff that we talk about on this podcast that then ends up like yeah. spawning something very similar to it in general culture is wild. And yeah. that one was wild for me because when is the last time that we've ever heard about Grimace talked about in a significant way? I can't even tell you. I go on this podcast yeah. and I make a statement, which is <laughs> Grimace is a daddy, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I stand by. And yeah. now all of a sudden, we've got themed shakes and we're celebrating his birthday month? I mean, they're not even doing that for any of the other characters. Correct. Yeah. Oh, I think we absolutely somehow manifest, whether we realize it or not. Uh, Grease 2 has been labeled a cult classic, and I couldn't be happier. I don't know that I've ever heard about Grease 2 spoken about in the media in a significant way until now, mm -hmm. after you've been talking about it on this show. Oh, I... Yeah. Oh, God. I just, the soundtrack is the catchiest thing you will ever find. Is it ridiculous? Yes. Is any of it plausible? No. But I love it. Yeah. And it brings me joy. So I've decided if it brings me joy, it's fine. Absolutely. Let me have the joy. I could not agree more. I just think if it is that we somehow together have conjured this manifestation power, I guess uh -huh. my whole uh -huh. thing is, you know, Maybe send a little something else my way. You know what I mean? Bring me a little gift wrapped in a bow. Are we are we specifically talking about McDonald's again? Oh, no, I was talking about a man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought you were, but then I was like, oh, she's probably still referencing free McDonald's swag. <laughs> I mean, uh, listen, again, I wouldn't say no. No. And look. I don't I don't think we ask a lot. No. And look, we're not even like harping at McDonald's, uh, begging them for anything. Uh, we don't beg. No. But we reference them all the time. Yep. We spend a lot of money at their at their We do. Stores. Stores? Uh, I think so. Ch I guess we'd call it stores. Are we calling it a restaurant? I guess we could be, but 
I think I think uh, locations, I believe, is what I was going for. Mm. But that word didn't come to me until now. I, I mean, sure, they're going to have to skip over the parts where we talk about <laughs> grimace jizz. But otherwise. Otherwise. This otherwise. Is awesome. And look, yeah. if they were financing us in some way, we'd be sure not to say things like the Hamburglar fucks or <laughs> <laughs> grimaces jizz. We would be very yes. respectful. But we only say yes. those things out of like reverence. It's not like we're being shaming of, or anything or saying it as a negative. No. Yes. I mean, <laughs> what I love is if you pay us, we'll stop. <laughs> that, that has a really specific uh, tone to it that we don't mean. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do have to say I also drove the other day to get one of my fountain Diet Cokes because, again, favorite thing in the world. And uh, I was there and I ordered and the man said, oh, I'm so sorry. We, um, we don't have any fountain drinks right now. And I said, I'm sorry. He's like, do you want an orange juice? And I said, no, no, I don't. And I get that he was trying to be helpful, but I just have to say offering someone an orange juice for a Diet Coke is like, I don't even know. Oh, I have burned in my brain is a day that I went to a restaurant. Um, I ordered a Coke and they were they were like, just a heads up. Uh, our machine has broken. And so they brought like a two liter bottle and poured it in. So it was legit Coca-Cola. And oh, I was upset. Yeah. <laughs> because I I wanted the fountain. It's, you know. Yeah, we've talked about it many times. There's, it's just, it's, it's magic. Yeah. It's magic. If I could get, yeah. you know, you've talked about a slurpy machine for your house. If I could get yeah. a, like a fountain machine. I'm not talking about a soda stream. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about a Diet Coke where I got to get the syrup. Yeah. You know, I don't even need any of the other flavors. Just a single spigot of Thank Diet you Coke. For spigot. You're very yeah. welcome. I would be a happy woman. Yeah. Well, and now I'm picturing Grimace's dick as a spigot, and that's how they make those milkshakes. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh. So sorry. Again, McDonald's, if you, you, you want to float us something. <laughs> Uh, we'll stop. We will stop talking about the genitalia and sexual proclivities of <laughs> your beloved characters. We'll try. We'll try. Because we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. We, You never know what you're going to get with us. We are like a box of chocolates. <laughs> we are. <laughs> we absolutely are. Yep. I mean, look, I bring this up just as a you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, the other day I went out. Oh, only good for you. <laughs> I know that's huge for me. Uh, the only my oldest was home, so my husband had gone somewhere. I went and took two of the kids, dropped one off at a friend's, took one to a store, came home. I was gone maybe an hour. Walk in the door, and I'm punched in the face with a horrific smell, like horrific. And I was like, "What is that?" The answer, like a rotten egg. And I was like, oh, God. And I walk in the door and it's my oldest wandering around the house being like, where is this smell coming from? I'm like, okay. So then I'm I'm like checking everywhere and I'm like, I don't see anything. But I'm like, the smell is just getting worse and worse. And I'm like, oh, my God. Is it natural gas? Gas leak. This is the first thing that's come to my mind. So I was like, oh, my God. So I panicked. 
kept it calm, but fully inside panicked. Phoned my husband and was just like, hey, so sorry to bug. Here's the situation. Our house smells like rotten egg. He's like, uh-huh. I'm like, and I don't know. And he's like, that could be the sign of a gas leak. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm calling. <laughs> so, okay. So he's like, you know what? I'll call gas company or whoever he had to call. He's like, I'm coming home. I'll call them. We'll have somebody come. We'll figure it out. So he's like, just get the kids and the cats out of the house. And I'm like, the cats? Oh, no. Uh, so he he's texting me on his way home. He's like, just someone will be there within like 30 minutes. We just get outside. They said, if you're comfortable going back in the house, open as many windows as you can. So I'm like, of course, of course. So I get my kids outside. My oldest gets the cats in the cat carrier, takes the cats outside. We're all sitting in the shade outside because it is a uh, warm day. And my youngest just has no concept that anything's wrong. I'm trying to keep it chipper. And I'm like, let's just play outside. This is fun. Uh, I go back in the house. The smell has gotten even worse. I'm running around. I'm opening every window that we have that opens. I'm just going for it. And then I go back out. And then I, we had just purchased some like hockey stickers for his book, um, which is one of my youngest kids' favorite things to do. And so I was like, hey, do you want to bring, do you want me to bring those outside? We can do that, thinking that's a fun distraction from what we're doing. And then I came in the house and I was like, this is probably my last run through the house before whoever comes to check on this. I'm like, if this is legitimately gas and we potentially end up our house burning down, my brain is like, what do you save? Yeah. What do you save? I saw my laptop sitting on the coffee table. I was like, I should probably grab that. I'm going to need that a couple of times this week. So I'm like, oof, I should grab that. Didn't. I went right to my youngest son's bed and grabbed his two favorite stuffed toys because I was like, go for something you can't replace. Yeah. I could buy him a new one, but it's not going to be the same. Yeah. So like, go for what you can't replace. And I brought them out in a fun, I thought they'd like to come outside. He thought it was great. And then the gas company came. They came around. Turns out, not gas at all. He double-checked everything for us. Turns out, somehow, we got sewer back up through oh. uh, It's not as bad. Somehow, it was just the gas from the sewer. But when my husband came home, he's like, I was outside the house, and I could smell it. Like, before coming inside, he's like, so it was bad. And the guy uh, was like, you did the right thing calling because who knows what it could have been and you wouldn't have known for sure. And we've got it all fixed. And I'm going to say hot. I almost asked him if he was single <laughs> for you because he was a very attractive gentleman. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's even in, even in a moment of slight panic, Blanche is always there. I, I appreciate that. Well, Blanche listen, I so and then it just yeah. dissipated like it eventually just went away. Yeah, we we oh had all God. of our, all of the windows open. We had fans going for hours, and then eventually it just kind of faded. Smelled a little better and a little better, and then the the basement was the worst because my son's room was closed, so he had to open the room up, which he hates because the cats will get in, and uh, it was a whole thing. But if nothing else, I learned the next time someone's like, "Your house is on fire. What are you going to save?" and the answer is the plushies. Well, yeah, I mean, this reminds me, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast, but when we were getting evacuated because of the wildfires, 
<clears throat> right. A couple of years ago. Um, in LA, every year there's something called fire season. Now, this year it won't happen because we've had so much rain. But basically, there's drought. It gets dry. Inevitably, somehow, a fire starts. And then it, they just spread. Like wildfire. Uh, there it is. That you can't get ahead of them. And so we were getting uh, a friend of the podcast, Leslie Seiler, and uh, uh, her husband, PK. They... Uh, them and me, you get a text on your phone if you're in the if you're in the vicinity, and it'll literally right. say, "Pack up and leave. It's time to go." And so I was like, <sighs> at work, I was shooting on Superstore, and was like, "I gotta go, guys. I'm getting evacuated from my house." Now, the one credit I will give that production is that they arranged a hotel room uh, for me and Siler and PK, and at the hey. time, two dogs and two cats in one hotel room. That was something. But it was a very quick turnaround time. Same thing. So it was like, we have to de- I have to decide what to take. First thing I put in that suitcase, all the yeah. scrapbooks you've made me. First thing to go in. Those are irreplaceable. They can't replace that. Uh, sure. So those all go in first. Then it was like a board game in case we wanted to play something in the hotel. Then... My brand yeah. new hair extensions. And I know what you're thinking. Really, Lauren? But they're expensive. And I was like, they've never been used. Put them in. Um, what was the other? There was one other. Oh, and my autographed Supernatural uh, photo. <laughs> we met Supernatural. Like the, the actual printed of photo of you, Mother Laurel, and I. That yeah. went in the suitcase. And I think maybe the plush Supernatural guys that I had just gotten to. I was out of my mind. Um, the sure. best was that Siler gets here. And what has she brought? It was like, I think it was, I can't remember. It was like Christmas hats, um, you know, something else. And then a bag of raw chicken. And what I said to her was, how are we going to cook this, but <laughs> I think she was like, well, we could cook it before we go. And it was like, well, I think we're supposed to get out of the house. Anyway, we left that. Uh, and then a PK, what did PK bring? Rope, duct tape, <laughs> matches survival items oh i don't know if he brought matches but survival items Mm -hmm. and the best was that he got completely vindicated because we got to the hotel we've got the makeshift litter pan but the one thing that we both forgot to bring was a scoop to scoop the litter so he sat and painstakingly made one folding pieces of of duct tape into like a grid and it worked it worked (laughs) <laughs> I mean, first of all, I'm absolutely not going to be the person who's like, bring useful items. No, 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 no. Um, um, we'll just get them. We'll get them somewhere else. Right? At, in this moment right now, I would probably fill a suitcase with books. Yeah. Just be like, oh, I guess I can't work. I guess I'll just have to read for pleasure. Pleasure reading. Pleasure reading. Um... The, and the true joke is, I uh, I didn't consider, like, what about my own precious plushie from my youth, who I love so much, who sits back on the shelf behind me? I could have taken two steps, come in this room, grabbed him, and kept going. But I in the, that moment, my instinct was, that'll tell my kid something's up. And I was also trying to keep him calm and keep him like, there is nothing to even consider worrying about. And I mean, and that's just is a testament to what a good mother you are. Oh, God. Well, I, it, <laughs> you say that. I say, oh, God, him being calm um, will help me remain calm. Yeah. I was not calm, but I seemed calm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just, uh, I was all over the place. And let me tell you, as a treat that night, 
he got McDonald's for supper as well. That's <laughs> because nice. we felt like we had really um, mucked up his day. And so what made him happy? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that bit before and I'll do it again. Yep, absolutely. I'll do it again to Absolutely. I love it. Well, I love that yeah. full circle moment too. It always comes back yeah. to Mickey D's. It always does. Yeah. Um, and speaking of things I love as much as McDonald's, what you drinking over there? Well, listen, we've seen the we've seen the the grimace shake, which I think maybe I'm done with. Um, but oh, is it because I said it looked like his jizz? It's not not because of that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm so I don't sorry. love milkshakes to be honest. I just was like I wanted to do it for the bit. Uh, I got the big diet coke. And then just a cup of water in my bitch two cup. Of course. Bitch one is uh, beauty. Up over there. I love that. Um, which I've also realized I need to just start using cups instead of just displaying them. But that's something to work through with a therapist. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I'm felt just, like I needed to keep my wits about me because I'm uh, I'm reading today. And, you know, I don't like to yeah. get slurry. I don't like it. Of course. Well, I I went the other way. I did decide on a Mike's Hard Lime. I've got the water as a backup. I might, I might get a Coke. I love at this. The break. We'll see. It's late. I shouldn't. Well, it's not late, but like it's late enough uh, when you're an old woman. Yeah. Uh, so I shouldn't need the caffeine, but I'd like. That. I get. That. I just want the option. I get that for the caffeine, and it'll help with my nerves uh, for when I'm driving because driving this bus, uh, anxiety riddled. You do great. Is, you do uh, great work. It comes to you great work. Yeah. Now listen, I was told this is going to be lengthy. Yeah. So we should get in. <laughs> so we, I was told before we hit record, it's going to be a long one. You may want to just hop to it. I haven't fully hopped to it, but this is more hopped to than normal. Yep. So today we are, of course, talking about Joe Francis. Girls Gone Wild, I've got a synopsis for you, and I couldn't be more delighted. American entrepreneur Joe... Ugh, God, couldn't even make it three fucking words, Christy. She's going to take that again, and people are going to be like, wouldn't that have been an obvious edit? Not on our show. We don't do it. Never have. We, don't. we just won't. You get us raw. Maybe I like it raw. <laughs> I love that so much. American entrepreneur... Joe Francis launched his Girls Gone Wild series of videos in 1997 when he was just 23 years old. The premise was that Francis would travel across America and approach women in bars on the beach or at parties and ask them to flash their breasts often in exchange for a T-shirt, hat or shot of alcohol. In their first two years, Girls Gone Wild brought in $20 million in revenue. In 2001, they released 83 different DVDs and sold 4.5 million copies. But along the way, Joe Francis became embroiled in numerous legal issues and has been charged with countless crimes. A man who has been, has been described as a ruthless businessman and possible sociopath, Joe Francis is volatile, violent, and vicious. I like that alliteration. Mm -hmm. So get ready to rage as Lauren takes us all on a journey with a story that has connections to Brad Pitt, a tenacious small town mayor, and possible 
mob ties. That's right. Uh, that ah, is right. And I want you to know, I didn't, I'm not the one that said possible sociopath. That's what someone else has said about him. So that just gives you, this isn't, that wasn't me, you know, um, of making any sort of judgment on my own. Just presenting the facts. Um, of course. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Now, listen, yeah. I know what you're thinking. Really, Lauren, there's that much information to get through. You will be shocked by the end of this. I watched a documentary. I cover all of that. But then I found extra stuff. And so I was like, we just got to get into it because never in my life did I think I was going to be spending this much time talking about that Joe Francis gentleman. <laughs> He's really not a gentleman, but, you know, of course, we start somewhere. Uh, so we have somewhere to go. Uh, now, trigger warning before we get started. There will be mentions of sexual assault, domestic violence, uh, and light child abuse. So trigger warning if you need it. Now, I feel like it's important, especially for our younger viewers and listeners, what am I talking about, uh, to discuss very briefly that the early 2000s were a wild time in culture. It's different yep. than it is now. And I am not suggesting yep. that that is a positive I merely want to point out because as I was going through my research for this and really getting into what Girls Gone Wild was, for example, I was like, it's wild, don't pardon the pun, that that we were just all cool with this. That it was like, yeah, that yeah. that's all right. It's okay that we're deeply hard coercing drunk young women to show their breasts on camera um, when they're too drunk to consent. Absolutely too drunk to consent. Um, yeah. So I think it's just an important, it's important to remember that like this was just a very different time than it is now. And again, not saying that's a positive. But given that, Girls Gone Wild was an absolute cultural phenomenon at the time. Bruce Springsteen mentioned the series at a concert. Brad Pitt openly spoke about how he was a fan and that his wife at the time, Jennifer Aniston, had even purchased him some copies for his birthday. Now, the entire world seemed to be celebrating this concept at the time, or at least there wasn't people, you know, loudly protesting as much as you may think there would have been. And in many ways, Joe Francis was a great businessman. He read the culture very well. He understood that there was gaps in the market, and by market I mean the porn market, and he created a niche product. Softcore porn was not really getting made as much around this time. It kind of faded in the, the 90s. Uh, and so Joe Francis swooped in with something to fill that void. It's amazing to me that he started all of this when he was 23, because I just want to remind everybody that your brain doesn't start stop developing until you're 25. Just think that's an important thing to remember. Sure. Now, it's safe to say with that in mind that getting the kind of fame and power that Joe Francis did uh, may have had a negative impact. It would probably have a negative impact on almost anyone. And make no mistake, it didn't exactly put Joe on a great path forward. A woman named Lori King was the senior vice president of operations at Girls Gone Wild. She worked with Joe Francis at Mantra Films, which is the company that made Girls Gone Wild. And she said she liked Joe. He was nice to her, but that he was kind of an overgrown teenager and he looked the part. She described him as charming and disarming. Scott Sobel, who was an editor of Girls Gone Wild from 2005 to 2010, said that Joe could draw women in easily. He was able to talk people into doing virtually anything. No one ever said no to him. And if you did say no to him, it was only a matter of time before you eventually said yes. He's also been described as relentless, violent, ruthless. One person said Joe must either have had a troubled childhood or he's just a total sociopath. So I wanted to look into his childhood. The documentary did touch on it a little bit, but I wanted to know more. Where to go to find that information, you ask? Well, 
I went to Joe Francis's website and thought I'd read his bio. Thought that maybe I could learn some background information about his early life as recounted by he himself. What I discovered was not one, not two, but three insanely long bios that he had written about himself. I copy and pasted the first, which was simply entitled personal bio, put it into Word just because I wanted to see accurately how long it was. Okay. I deleted all the embedded photos. I made it a font size 12 Calibri. Is that what it is? That's my favorite font or chose font of choice. Same. What's that? Same? Same. Oh, come on. Visually. I love love it. Yep, there it is. Couldn't be happier with what's happening. Couldn't right be now. happier. Um, I made sure it was single spaced again because I didn't want, you know, not double spaced, whatever. That bio alone was 19 pages long <laughs> in Word. In Word. Okay. Wowza. That's just the personal one. The business one was an additional five pages. And then something he entitled Legal Story was an additional 16 pages. That's right. That brings us to a grand total of 40 pages this absolute psycho wrote about himself. And for context, (laughs) 40 pages read out loud to you would take well over three hours. How do I know this? Because I'm the woman who wrote some of the longest episodes we ever did on this show. (laughs) And they were not even 40 pages long. So I've tried to pull some of the lowlights from these 40 pages to tell you about. He states, for the record, in the personal bio that they were written in 2010, just for context. So, this is his opening line. If life is a ride, which it surely is, then mine has got to be the balls-out wildest roller coaster in the park. (laughs) I mean... I'm not surprised we're not even half an hour in and the term balls out has come out. (laughs) It does feel like it's a record for us, though. Um, So Joe Francis was born on April Fool's Day, April 1st, 1973 in Atlanta, Georgia. His parents, Raymond and Maria, met on a Long Island beach one summer. Very ironic that Joe made a career out of approaching women on beaches, uh, just like his father approached his mother. Now, psychologist had his not on yet, but just note it. Joe was one of four children. His sister Babette was two years older than him. His sister Caroline was a year and a half younger. And his sister Christina was 10 years younger. His parents moved to Atlanta from New York after his father left his career in advertising to run a business called Daddy Crisp Potato Chips. Joe describes his father as a tireless hard worker with constant, even obsessive drive to succeed. He added that this meant that his dad wasn't around much during Joe's childhood. But by contrast, his mom was always home. He describes his mother as, quote, loving, even doting. But she wasn't much of a disciplinarian. I was generally left to my own devices as a kid. And as a restless little boy, I took full advantage of it. I was constantly looking for diversions. When I was very small, I thought one of my sister's Barbie dolls was hot. I stole her and carried her around with me for weeks, calling her my girlfriend. But even as a young child, I suspected she wasn't anatomically correct. And I eventually had to end the relationship. (laughs) That's where we're starting, folks. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't know wow. if he was writing this bio specifically to play into the fact that he w- went on to be a porn maker, but it continues. Or maybe this is just him, and that is also part of the reason why he did become a porn maker. Um, the next thing he said 
as was as early as first grade in Atlanta, he said he felt unchallenged and bored in school until he said he met a little blonde girl who offered to play show me yours and I'll show you mine. A teacher was shocked to find them in the midst of the game, and Joe says he was reprimanded and sent outside to think about what an awful little boy he was. Quote, I didn't get it. What did I do wrong? The blonde girl was a willing, even eager participant. We didn't touch each other and no one got hurt. Just the parallels to then what he went on to do later, it's just almost creepy. Again, if this wasn't deliberate, then that's the lack of self-awareness is troubling. Joe says that his first true crush came not long after that. Quote, Miss Davis was a teacher's assistant. I remember her as a tall, slender woman with great breasts, the face of an angel, and the kind of eyes you can lose yourself in. (laughs) What the hell am I talking about? I was six. The point is, I was in love. For some reason, I decided that if I placed an upturned thumbtack on the seat of her chair, it would impress her favorably. I watched excitedly as Miss Davis took her seat. She screamed, jumped to her feet, and scanned the room, demanding to know who the culprit was. I thrust my hand in the air. Me! Me! I I don't know what I was expecting for my candor. A kiss? A ride home with a stop for ice cream? What I actually got was a few days of suspension and the principal's smirking remark to my mother that if all children were like me, then people wouldn't have children. It's just that there's so much to unpack so quickly. (laughs) I mean, his first crush being a teacher's assistant, full-on adult. Yeah, but also the fact that he remembers her breasts and he was six at the time. I don't know that a lot of children note those kinds of things without some sort of trauma. Um, When he was seven, the family moved across the country to Newport Beach where his parents, that's in California, his parents sent him to Our Lady Queen of Angels Catholic School. He said from the beginning he was questioning everything about the Catholic Church. It drove the nuns crazy. Quote, I found the school day filled with mindless rote instruction that was neither challenging nor interesting to me. I constantly look for other ways to amuse myself. As a result, I got in trouble practically every day and eventually got tossed out of Catholic school altogether for an incident that I'll have to tell in some detail some other time. Suffice to say, the nuns were horrified, pushed me out the door, and told me to never come back. One thing I noticed throughout this bio is there's times where he is saying things that most people would be slightly horrified to say, especially on like a professional website about themselves. But then there's a few times where he'll be like, something really wild happened. I'll have to tell you about that another time. And to that I say, how bad was it? Because if you're willing to talk about some of the other things that you talk about on on here that I haven't gotten to yet, but you're leaving out the details of what you did as a seven-year-old, I fear for the safety of those nuns at the time. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it can't be great, is my entire point. Um, And after a series of incidents like whatever that was, his parents sent him to a place called Rumsey Hall, which was a boarding school in Connecticut. He talks about how he was told that he they were just going to go on a tour to see if he liked it. But then his parents basically just drove off and left him there. Um, He said he cried in his room for three days. He also described the student director there as, quote, a gray faced codger who smelled like mothballs. And to that, I say, you're not Charles Dickens. Calm down with the flowering writing. Joseph. Um, (laughs) Thank you for Joseph. (laughs) He went on to say that the only time he took interest in anything at Rumsey Hall was was when he, he discovered you could sneak through a forest to, of course, the girls' side of school. Uh, he said he would escape from class every day to go to talk to the girls, quote, not because I was looking for action as a 10-year-old, but because sneaking in there was forbidden, and that alone made it irresistible. 
I feel like no one Michael- suggested that at ten you were looking for action. <laughs> but also the statement, it was forbidden and that made it irresistible. <laughs> I feel like Michael Bluth asking Tobias to carry around a tape recorder <laughs> so he can hear the things he's saying. Like, again, I'm like, is he trying to make this seem like he's a narcissist or is he just a legit narcissist? I don't know. I think the latter. But again, yeah. I haven't gotten through all of it yet. So during the school year there, Joe was allowed occasional trips back to California. And at the end of those visits, he said his parents would hand him cab fare to take the 50-mile drive back to LAX, where he would board a plane alone, connect through Chicago, fly to New York, wait for another cab, which would take him to school. He was 10, and he was allegedly doing all of this by himself, which if that is true, that's true. I would say that's traumatic. I think that that's, it's not like someone escorted you to the airport if you were flying alone as a child. He was navigating the streets, which feels extreme to me. Um, He says it doesn't bother him. It didn't bother him. I beg to differ. Uh, He tried everything he could to get kicked out of that school. It took him almost the entire year, but he finally did eventually rack up enough demerits to get kicked out and flown back home to California. Next stop, military school, San Diego. He says once again, his parents tricked him into going and then just dumped him there. This is one of his uh, recountings of his time there. Quote, when we were rudely awakened at 4 a.m. and ordered out of our bunks, I turned over and said, forget it. When a dorm sergeant took a brass belt buckle I'd just polished, spit on it, handed it back to me and said, do it again, I tossed it back to him and said, I already polished it. You want it polished again? Do it yourself. I was grabbed by the neck and marched to the school commandant for a disciplinary meeting. The commandant ordered me to stand at attention. I didn't hear him. I was staring at the ribbons on his chest. Something wrong, he asked. I shrugged. I'm just wondering what all those little ribbons are for. You've never been in the actual military, so what are those? Pretend? The commandant stared at me for a beat. I smiled back. He picked up his phone, dialed my parents. Without taking his eyes off me, he told them that their son had just had a, set a new school record. No one had ever been kicked out in just five days. It's so interesting to me that this grown man is bragging about this behavior that he was doing as a child, as though it's like he was so cool and he was telling off his teachers at military school. And like, it's just fascinating to me, again, from a psychological yeah. perspective. That it's like there's such a focus on girls and women and boobs and all of the above. And then also like, and I was bad. And isn't that cool? He is absolutely trying so hard to be the cool guy. Yeah. And it's like, but it's, I, it's pathetic at this point. Well, yeah, because most people who have that, I would say, or not most, but I think a lot of people who have those kinds of childhoods would would look back with like kindness on themselves going like, I was so troubled. I was, you know, like I was acting out because like some self-awareness, none of that. So after that, he gets sent to a reform school in Northern California where they were told it wasn't prison as there weren't any walls, but if they tried to escape, a logger or a hippie would probably take them. He asked for what? The other kids told him flatly, anal rape. He said he didn't know what that was, but he didn't want to be a part of it. Then we get to the point of the story where I'm going to show the only compassion that I probably have for this man. He's recounting this time at this reform school, which I would say would earn the classification of acute trauma. This is the quote. First, one of the teachers decided it would be a good idea to have us kid watch a pair of horses mate. We stood staring, the smallest of us desperately confused about what the hell we were supposed to make of it. The teacher grabbed the stallion's monstrous penis and inserted it into the mare. 
That's the way it's done, fellas, the teacher said wistfully. On another rainy afternoon, we were treated to the spectacle of a horse being castrated with a pair of pliers. Finally, one morning, a farmer woke us from a comfortable sleep and marched two other boys and me to a pasture containing a flock of sheep. He pointed at one and asked, what do you think of that fellow there? I yawned and said, looks like any other sheep. That's when I noticed the farmer had a rifle with him. He raised the gun and blam, shot the sheep through the head. He ordered us to carry the carcass back to the barn. What lessons we were meant to draw from this spectacle? I still can't tell you. The lesson I actually did learn is that people who have authority over you are not to be trusted. And I just have to say, oh, Joe, that is what you thought you may have learned that day. But you can hear it from me. I know of another young child that was exposed to disturbed sexual content and then a murder. And his name was Richard Ramirez. I'm not suggesting that Joe Francis is a serial killer. He's not, as far as we know. But I will just say that is an intense amount of trauma. And if that is true, which I'm not suggesting he's lying, um, I feel like, again, the lack of awareness here is staggering. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a part of my youth I don't think I'd talk about. Uh, yeah. Again, very traumatic. Especially in an, in like an about me yeah, situation. Yeah, in a personal bio, like on your professional webpage. Feels like it's maybe not the time to get into all of this. And again, like, yeah. here's the joke, though. He does talk about how he was the youngest kid there, and it did the trick. He was terrified, so he did, he finally, like, fell in line like all these other schools failed to make him now again i'm not suggesting that being threatened that there's a forest full of anal rapists is a good thing to make a child to a child to make them follow the rules um in fact i think again he was just traumatized by all of it yeah um no child should be uh, obviously i know i said light child abuse at the beginning i guess it was because there was nothing actually physical that happened to them but it's intense emotional child abuse let's put it that way um and i also just want to give a quick shout out to paris hilton telling her story about her time at one of these similar school edu- institutions which are purely abusive uh disgusting her story is truly heartbreaking as well maybe i will have to cover it on a future episode Yay. so in high school joe says he just stared at the clock Waiting. Again, I'm like, why is it you're trying to tell us that you were so much better than everybody at school? Is it because you were a narcissist? Well, again, we're building a case. Um, He got a job very young. He said he really loved working. It was at a gelato shop. Uh, He didn't want to work because he wanted money to buy anything. He said he wanted to eliminate any chance of ever being poor, which is interesting. He felt like his dad always worried about money and that he didn't want to have to worry about money ever. So that was also an interesting color to paint him with um he says he doesn't get, he didn't get much attention from girls because he had a mouthful of outlandishly large braces to quote him uh didn't attend prom worked as much as he could got into his dream college usc he says he chose the university of southern california because he wanted to stay in la and because it had a famous entrepreneur program which promised to provide young students with skills necessary to become successful business people uh he also he really loved his courses and as a sideline he took a lot of courses in film and television as well He said the biggest discovery he made during college was spring break. Big surprise. In freshman year, he went to Mexico where he saw his first wet t-shirt contest. He said it was the most stimulating thing he'd ever seen. It changed him. And all it made him want to do was see another wet t-shirt contest. Oh, boy. Then he said, I never imagined college girls could be so wild. There was a sense of fun and freedom. It was exhilarating. And more to the point, this is a quote. 
It was infused with naked breasts. They were everywhere. And what man doesn't love breasts? Tan, firm, real, 19-year-old breasts. Just a reminder, this man was 37 when he wrote that. He also, I can think of multiple men that aren't into boobs. Totally. So. 100%. 100%. Horrifying. Horrifying. Um, and then he said, if only there was a way to turn my obsession into a career. His words. Oh, at least he admits it. Yep. Um, so later that year, he and some friends went to a strip club, he says, and he didn't just want to watch the girls dance. So he claims that he invited a couple of them back to the, his apartment. His friends were like, there's no way they're going to come. He claims that they did show up and then he did hook up with one of these strippers and his friends never doubted him again. This is in your professional bio on your website. Okay. So as part of the USC entrepreneur <laughs> program and as a condition for completing it, every student has to develop a viable business plan. So he put together a plan designed to market a series of instructional vi videotapes called Secrets of Successful Gambling. He was very proud of it. He thought it was foolproof, but the professors didn't like it and gave him a C. He said it didn't bother me because, quote, these were teachers, I thought to myself, not businessmen. If they had any real talent for making money, they'd actually be out in the world doing it. Okay, Joe. Um, he graduated in 1995. The only part of college he said he didn't want to leave behind was, of course, the chicks. His word. There it is. There it is. After graduating, he wasn't able to raise enough money to actually produce the gambling tapes, so he worked briefly for his father, but said there wasn't room for two ambitious entrepreneurs in that office. So hoping to tap into the skills he had developed in film and TV classes, he went to work in television production. He went from job to job in Hollywood until eventually he landed a $350 per week production assistant gig at Real TV, which was a syndicated TV show that featured footage from various sources of extraordinary events that weren't covered in mainstream news. Working in the studio, he says he had heard of a compilation tape that the show's staff members had been passing around to each other. This tape contained footage that was too disturbing for broadcast television, things like animal attacks, accidents, and executions. It was apparently wildly popular around the production office, and he was fascinated by the fact that something that was so popular had no apparent value to the TV show that he was working on. And since it couldn't be aired on TV, there was no place for it. So he says he drew cash advances on his credit cards and licensed all of the footage. He says he worked with Richard Crystal, brother of Billy Crystal, and they wrote, produced, and edited a tape that included professional narration and music. He called the video banned from television. Keep in mind, this was a time period, of course, that was pre-internet, or pre-internet being what it is now, so people wanted to see the content that was literally banned from being shown anywhere ever. In a way, I will give him the credit, it is a brilliant business model. There was no sure. way to see this, people were intrigued. Again, I'll give him that credit. So during the fall of 1997, orders for banned from television were growing steadily. It started at a few orders per day to dozens and then hundreds. He actually had to hire eight employees. In 1998, he celebrated by purchasing a black convertible Porsche 911. At the time, he was still sharing a rented condo with two other guys and living on fast food. But, quote, at least I could feel good pulling up to the drive through window in my new car. Okay. Now there's a whole chunk of the bio where he just starts ranting about people being envious of him. Oh. That he encountered someone specifically who was very envious of him. Traits of narcissism, side note. <laughs> While researching this case, I discovered a helpful acronym that I hadn't heard before, which is very handy in remembering what the traits of a narcissist are. It is special me. And I'd like you to write this down at home so you can play along for the rest of the episode with a game I'm calling Joe Francis Bingo. 
<laughs> Special me. S. Sense of self-importance. P. Preoccupation with power, beauty, or success. Three. An E. Entitled. C. Can only be around people who are important or special. I. Interpersonally exploitative for their own gain. A. Arrogant. L. Lacks empathy. M. Must be admired. And E. Envious of others or believes that others are envious of them. It really all started to click for me when he said he started ranting about this old coworker being envious of him, especially when you hear the context. Basically, another employee who had worked with him at Real TV got upset that this tape that he had made that was being passed around the office, that Joe had essentially just licensed all that footage behind his back, took his whole thing and made it himself. But the way Joe tells the story is that because he was making so much money, this guy just got super envious. So the guy, of course, filed a lawsuit asking for a share of the profits. Um, Joe blames losing the case on hiring an inexperienced lawyer and by stating, quote, the legal system is a game and it's manipulated by politicians, lawyers, judges and savvy but unethical plaintiffs. But let's remember that he himself stated that the tape of this footage had been floating around the office. He was the one to take the tape, license it, and sell it. So it sounds to me like this guy he ripped off absolutely had grounds to sue. And Joe later claims that it didn't really matter because he only had to pay a fraction of the $3.5 million settlement in the case anyway. Joe produced additional volumes of Banned from Television, and the company grew into a full-scale operation. But Joe says he wasn't satisfied with the product. He said he had difficulty watching it. It was too violent. It was too sensational. Too disturbing. Not the kind of video you're going to want to watch again and again. It was then that he claims that he asked to see more footage from the sources he was receiving it from that was less violent. More sexual, he said. On one of those tapes, he saw some women on spring break flashing and was transfixed. And this is another quote that Chills me to my core. This wasn't porn. It was something better. It was real girls. It was spontaneous. It was awesome. And the girls were hot. I took the tape home, and for a few weeks, it was my only source of entertainment. I just couldn't get over it. I became convinced that other guys would be just as turned on by it as I was. So I licensed the footage, asked the source for more, and cut together a tape that contained nothing but cute, real college girls flashing their breasts. He packaged the tapes and came up with the name, of course, Girls Gone Wild. At first, the sales for Banned from Television were, go were doing better than Girls Gone Wild because it was able to be advertised in more markets on television. But soon he eventually convinced more channels to air the Girls Gone Wild commercials and the sales took off. This is when he realized it would probably be more economical if he started to capture his own footage instead of paying to license someone else's. And since the girls, as we mentioned earlier, were either offered a t-shirt, a shot, or sometimes nothing to show their breasts, he was right. That is definitely economical. He was very good at getting girls to show their breasts, according to him, because he says he had sisters and therefore was comfortable talking to women. He also said, quote, as it turns out, girls love attention. Who knew? Flashing for the camera is kind of a release for them, an expression of freedom, a statement of independence, and frankly, a matter of pride. He's failing to add, in any of that, that these girls were often far too drunk to consent, routinely coerced by both him and his cameraman, and were doing... Many things other than flashing, but more on that later. He upgraded his 60-second Girls Gone Wild ads to a 30-minute infomercial, which he claims rated very well. Allegedly, better than the TV shows that were leading the infomercial in. 
Just a reminder, we all know of someone else who bragged about ratings, and that man, of course, Donald Trump. Girls Gone Wild infomercials had steel drum music and a voiceover that says, Girls Gone Wild just got wilder. Real college co-ed, sexy sorority girls on spring break. Remember, these are not hired actors or paid performers. And then they put the cartoon Girls Gone Wild logos over the boobs. It's just, when you hear it out loud now in 2023, it just feels absolutely criminally insane to me that this was not only acceptable, but like celebrated and normal. These commercials were running albeit late at night, but on normal television channels. Yep. I don't know. So he said at first he started giving Mardi Gras beads, that model, for flashing, then opted for tank tops and t-shirts because he could put his branding on them. He said girls felt better about showing their breasts if they got something in return for it. I don't know that any of them ever said that, Joe. Think you made that up. I don't think you understand women at all, but I digress. (laughs) He says it was at this point he was approached by Playboy to make some content for them. Girls Gone Wild, it, it makes it's a, it made sense because Girls Gone Wild presented kind of like Playboy originally presented. Playboy obviously presented with Hugh Hefner as a focal point, and that's just what Joe Francis did for himself with Girls Gone Wild. He was the face of it. So it did seem like a natural fit for there to be crossover with Playboy. Joe developed two products for them, Playboy Mansion Parties Uncensored and Playboy's Casting Calls. His idea was to take the library of videos that Hugh Hefner and his staff had recorded of the mansion parties they'd had over the years and cut them together with newer footage that they shot themselves. He wrote and produced several 60-second commercials advertising the tapes and almost apparently immediately returned a profit. He claims that Playboy was very pleased, but that Hugh Hefner never thanked him personally. He also seemed very, very bitter about the fact that Hugh Hefner never thanked him personally for his work on those, and that is a bingo card. That's right. If you're playing along at home, I'd mark down M in the special me for must be admired. Mm. Snoop Dogg was the first celebrity to be a part of a Girls Gone Wild video. Girls Gone Wild Doggy Style was very popular. After the Snoop infomercial promoting Doggy Style came out, Eminem was the next person to work with them. He made a deal to have, uh, they made a deal to have him tour with them. So they rented out a million dollar bus and decked it with Girls Gone Wild logos on the side. It basically became a rolling billboard and created a lot of attention for the brand. It did eventually convince him to purchase his own tour bus as a movable, quote, home base for the Girls Gone Wild cruise. Um, in 2010, they owned two, two, two luxury, two, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> stuttered so hard there. Two luxury tour buses, uh, and they traveled the country year-round at the time. Now, here's a fun fact. Eminem's 8 Mile came out around this time in 2002 and was obviously a surprise massive hit. So Eminem decided he didn't really want the Girls Gone Wild videos featuring him to come out after all. Remarkably, Joe Francis agreed, something that he wouldn't do for countless women who have begged him over the years to please not use the footage of them that he recorded when they were too drunk to know what they were doing. But again... More on that later. One quote of Joe's I found interesting was, Personally, I never understood the furor over nudity. I grew up with a European mother who dragged me as a child through endless museums containing paintings and sculptures of nude women, as well as beaches and public baths where nudity was absolutely no big deal. I find this fascinating because in a sense, he's the one who's making nudity such a big deal. He's spoken so many times that he was obsessed, fascinated, It was all he could think about. So again, if you felt that nudity was no big deal, then why were you positioning it as being something worthy of obsessing over? 
That's a hypothetical or a that's a rhetorical question, but I think it's a of good course. one. Of course. In 2003, Girls Gone Wild spent $21 million on advertising, and they made five times as much in sales. What they wow. weren't spending on money, well, sorry, what they weren't spending money on, however, was, of course, the women in the videos. Mm-hmm. Lisa Cervante is an attorney who got involved with Girls Gone Wild in a lawsuit against them in 2003. Her client, Michelle Padilla, said that she was with a friend on a beach and they were partying. Some guys started yelling, show us your tits, and so the two of them pulled their bikini tops up, revealing their breasts, and later came to found out, find out that Michelle was the cover girl on a Girls Gone Wild video. She said she saw no cameras, she signed no release forms, and that it had to have been filmed using some sort of zoom lens from someone hidden somewhere. There was no oh. sign posted anywhere saying that filming was happening. No one ever approached them. Absolutely nothing. While researching Michelle's case, Lisa said she obtained a Mantra Films profit and loss statement for the first quarter of 2003. A reminder, Mantra Films, of course, is what produced Girls Gone Wild. Both of those are Joe Francis's entities. Mantra Films played that paid their legal team $198,000 in the first quarter of 2003. And under talent, they paid $3,000. I guess that was the money for the t-shirts and the shots and the whatnot. But what this reveals, and is truly the beginning of the darkness in this case, is that it was basically built into the business plan that they would pay the talent virtually nothing and then just simply wait for someone to have the courage to bring a lawsuit to them and then they would simply pay to again they would pay to either defend against it and or settle out of court which i have to say is so gross because he had to have known yeah. that a lot of the girls were uncomfortable but it would take a small fraction to actually have the bravery to speak up about it and then he would just use that you know use the legal money to pay them off and make them go away in the case of michelle padilla Girls Gone Wild absolutely refused to take down any of Michelle's images, likeness, photographs. Joe Francis made millions using that image. I believe that one made around 90 million in sales or something insane. The outcome was that the case was settled, but Michelle said that she felt no amount would truly have compensated her. Because this is the important thing to remember as we talk through this case. Anytime that a girl settles, nothing ever gets taken down. So even if they're paid the money and they, quote, won the case... The images, the videos are still going to exist forever with them in it, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. Even if they didn't consent, consent. I mean, Michelle didn't consent. And sure, she got some settlement money, but she didn't even have the option of deciding whether or not she wanted to be in. She was filmed without her knowledge. She also stated, uh, sorry, her lawyer, Lisa, also stated that she read a deposition of Joe Francis from another case. And in that deposition, Joe Francis never referred to women as women or girls, he always called them bitches or whores. And I want to remind you, that was in a legal deposition. I, oh God, my brain is just so flooded with things. I mean, I guess we've been saying for weeks, I mean, at least I have, um, the anger I've felt at entitled (laughs) rich men. Yeah. Um, I've been yelling about them for weeks now, and I guess this week is not any different. No. It's, it's what a, not going to get any better, I'm going to tell you that much. What a full horror show. Uh, but I can't wait to get into it further because uh, I have some room to go uh, on my bingo card. So grab a drink, 
grab a snack, maybe something from McDonald's. Hot, fresh, ready. No, I'll stop. Uh, <laughs> but if you send me money, I won't stop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, McDonald's? I know you. You know can pay saying. us to continue or you can pay us to stop. It's really up to you. And the honestly, we'll accept nuggets. <laughs> nuggets as payment. Yep. We accept that as well. Grab a drink. Grab some nugs. Or don't. Uh, and we'll be right back with more on Joe Francis on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to True Crime and Cocktails. Before the break, we were learning what a charming, oh God, I can't even think of the right word. No, what an absolute prick Yeah, that Joe Francis is. Yep. And I can't wait to find out uh, how much more of a prick he is. Oh, it gets uh, so much worse. <laughs> uh, there it is. Yeah. 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 All right. So. We're still in 2003. 2003, Joe made several TV appearances announcing that Girls Gone Wild was planning a live pay-per-view event during spring break to be broadcast from South Padre Island, Texas, Panama City Beach, Florida, and other locations. The mayor of Panama City Beach, Lee Sullivan, publicly announced that Girls Gone Wild wasn't welcome in his town and that he would shut down the event if they showed up. The mayor and Joe appeared on Fox News Channel's Greta Von Sustern show together and during that time, uh, Lee Sullivan told Joe that if he stepped foot in his town, he would be arrested. So what did Joe do? Oh, well, he filed a lawsuit against Lee Sullivan, as well as the local sheriff's department, the chief of, chief of police, and the city itself, asserting that his First Amendment rights had been violated. That he should be able to visit Panama City and Girls Gone Wild also had a right to videotape public events there during spring break. Now, according to the Internet, the First Amendment protects religious free liberty, free speech, a free press, the right to assemble, and the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So I guess this falls under this, but I don't know why I'm having a hard time feeling like it really counts. I'm like, I think it's a bit of a stretch. Like, I guess, but anyway, why am I trying to rationalize a madman's actions? I don't know. <laughs> So Joe claims that the lawsuit resulted in him winning a restraining order against the city and its officials, and Panama City was ostensibly forced to back down. But I don't understand how you can get a restraining order against a city and then also go to that city. 
But again, it makes no sense. This is his words, and who knows? Um, however, even though Panama City and Lee Sullivan were forced to back down, Joe's victory was short lived as just two weeks later, he would find himself facing a potential 300 plus years in prison. So Girls Gone Wild went ahead with filming in Panama City. According to Joe Francis, a couple of underage girls lied to a Girls Gone Wild cameraman about their ages to appear on the show. Now, I don't know the details. I couldn't find out whether these gals had fake IDs, but I just have to say, if their IDs weren't checked, I would still say that that is, don't pardon the pun, wildly on that crew. Um, after the fact, the girls notified the sorry, the girls' parents notified the police, and that's all the city needed to take action. The police arrested ten Girls Gone Wild crew members as well as Joe even though, according to him, he had not been present for the videotaping or even knew that it had happened. But he did admit to meeting those girls later. What he fails to mention in his opus of a website bio was that he met those girls along with some of their friends later that night. And that's when he had two of these girls' 17-year-old friends jerk him off. That's oh correct. My God. Not only had two 17-year-old girls been convinced to film a shower sex scene together... That's right. The 17-year-old girls in question didn't just flash their breasts. They made hardcore pornography. But then he also convinced two more 17-year-olds to masturbate him, allegedly, for $50. The girls said that he took their hands, put them on his penis, and then they went through the motions. Let's pause to unpack what I just said, side note. <laughs> now, I know that I've just thrown a lot at all of you. For starters... I personally thought Girls Gone Wild videos were simply compilations of girls flashing cameras. But what I have learned is that's actually not the case. There was a much darker side of the Girls Gone Wild world. It turns out that while bars would pay to host Girls Gone Wild and have them film in their establishments, Joe would use this time to choose what girl or girls he wanted to invite back onto his tour bus. Reporter Joel Stein, who was working for Entertainment Weekly, was following Joe on the road at the time with Girls Gone Wild to write a story about him. He says that he witnessed Joe taking women into a room at the back of the tour bus and closing the door. Joel was curious. So Joe Francis let him in the room at one point, and that's when Joel discovered a woman naked, spread eagle on the bed. Joe handed him a bottle of alcoholic lemonade, maybe Mike's hard, who knows, and told, told Joel Stein to fill it with water. So Stein does. Joe then gives it to the girl and has her pour it all over herself. Then Joe talks her into having sex with the bottle. He was encouraging her, filming her, and that's when her phone rang. She goes to grab it. Joe grabs it away from her, says, who's this? Showing her the caller ID. She says it's her boyfriend. So Joe answers the call saying, I'm Joe Francis from Girls Gone Wild. I'm here with your girlfriend. And then explains what she was doing. In that moment, Joel Stein said that it seemed that Joe's interest immediately shifted from the woman doing what she was doing to him getting an opportunity to dominate and show status over another man. Joel Stein then stated, I imagine he's got a complicated relationship with women. To that I say, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> the documentary shows a clip of a video that was shot in that room on the bus. And I just have to say, immediately, it's just... When, when, when I think of Girls Gone Wild, I think of the spring breaks, the, the parties, yep. the clubs. This clip, it is a girl alone on a bed, no music, and it's just immediately, it makes your stomach turn 
to me because it's so creepy. <sighs> She's sitting in her bra with her shirt in her hand and Joe's instructing her, now take your bra off. She's giggling. She's shaking her head. She's saying no. Joe says, what are you doing? This is girls gone wild. You're not very wild. Then he switches tactics. Please take your bra off. Please switches tactics. I'll be your best friend. Then we see Joe, Joe calling the girl's mother. Yeah, that's right. And we see him saying, hi, it's Joe Francis. Yes, we have your daughter and she's going to be on Girls Gone Wild. Is that cool? He then kneels down beside the bed and it reveals that the girl who is now topless uh, is laying down on the bed beside another topless girl. Joe, referring to the girl's mom on the phone, says, she says she doesn't even care. And everyone laughs. Now, again, this was blurred in of course. the documentary, but... Again, what are we, what, what are we doing? So he and his cameraman would often encourage these girls to do a multiple, a multitude of sexual things with each other. And if someone was uncomfortable with that, then they would encourage them to touch themselves. They'd offer the girls more alcohol and basically would never take no for an answer. And some of the things that went on in that room take girls gone wild from softcore flashing to straight up hardcore pornography. Apparently this footage was run on the girls gone wild website. These girls were being directed to go down on each other and also to have real orgasms. In one audio clip, you can hear the cameraman asking, does it take a long time for you to have an orgasm? She replies, no. And then the other girl pipes in saying, well, she's fucked up, so it shouldn't take long. Followed by, yeah, I don't want to be down there all night. Then you hear the cameraman say, well, let's have you go down on her and then you two swap. And I want to remind you these women were not paid. They were just given alcohol and put in a room in the back of a bus and told to do this. Hmm. Scott, the ex-Girls Gone Wild editor, said, you know, it's compelling for most guys to see the moment, the girls giggling that they've never made out with another girl, but the cameraman suggested it, and so they do it. But here's the thing that it is for me. It's seeing coercion work. And it struck me as I was writing this that this was a pivotal moment in our culture in terms of rape culture. Because basically every scene that you see shows women repeatedly saying no and then eventually giving in to doing things that they clearly didn't really want to do. When you mix this with the Girls Gone Wild messaging that these are real girls, which I want to remind you, they state in all their commercials and in their infomercials, that's the big part of it, right? Is that they're real. They're not paid performers. They remind you of that in the commercial messaging. They literally are saying no hired actors or paid performers. We've basically just informed an entire generation of young people that this is the message, that even though we weren't necessarily consuming the actual content, we were watching this in TV commercials. And I know they were late at night, but kids have a pesky way of staying up late once in a while, don't they? And to me, this kind of anti-consent content is what helps spawn the next generation of hardcore porn, where the degradation of women has become a common trend, but again, I digress. I guess what I'm saying is it teaches people that if you, if that real girls will do anything you want them to do if you just push them hard enough. Mm-hmm. How irresponsible. Again, it feels like this wasn't that long ago, but in some ways it feels like a chasm of time. So Joe and his crew were arrested in Panama City Beach. And the man behind that movement was someone I already mentioned, Mayor Lee Sullivan. So Panama City Beach is located on the Gulf of Mexico in Florida and has been affectionately nicknamed the Redneck Riviera. It's also important to note that this is technically the Bible Belt. 
I think sometimes we forget that the Bible Belt runs through Florida and heck does it. So Lee Sullivan is an absolute character. One example, Lee was talking about Joe bringing the rich and famous to these towns, speaking about celebrities. And on that, Lee says, quote, you know what a celebrity is? People. And if you told me that you and Kim Kardashian were buds, that wouldn't mean diddly squat to me. I'm going to say it right now. I love this man. Diddly squat. Diddly squat. Immediately in my heart. Oh, they even they get better. He also goes on to say, quote, this is not going to happen in my town where I live, where my friends live. We're just better than that. Joe's promised, uh, Joe's premised that he was producing art. And as such, he had constitutional protection. He did call it a daku. Yes. How ludicrous is that? Is that the most ludicrous, stupid, asinine thing you've ever heard? A documentary about what? That females have breasts? Or was it about his real opinion about women? Hmm? Like I say, Lee Sullivan. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm rooting for you, man. Um, Lee Sullivan addressed Girls Gone Wild filming the two underage girls in the shower, saying, quote, You know what that little twit says? Well, we had them sign a waiver. Well, if you're under 18 years old, signing a waiver is meaningless. How do you know when they sign a waiver that they were over 18 years old? He don't have a rat's clue and he don't give a rat's ass. Sorry, rat's rear. (laughs) Is rat's clue a thing? He don't have a rat's clue and he don't give a rat's rear. I mean, nope. I've never heard it before. Couldn't love it more. Joe was arrested. uh, And as such, they confiscated Joe's bus, his jet, his Ferrari, and they confiscated all of the filming equipment. He spent one night in jail and then was back to business the next day. Now, the criminal case dragged on and on. Four years after his arrest, uh, so he was arrested in 2003, in 2007, it looked like he was going to beat the charges due to a lack of evidence. So the girls from the shower incident sued him. This is obviously a civil case. And according to Joe, there was a private mediation meeting regarding the case. Lawyers came into the room and they find Joe Francis and he says, I will make you one offer. You can suck my dick. So the judge holds him in contempt of court, even though it's a civil proceeding, which I think is fairly unprecedented. Um, But he goes to jail. In a jailhouse interview with Joe, he's crying, saying, I haven't done anything. These people are getting off on destroying my life. I sit in a cell every night and I wake up and I scream. And then while he's in jail, well, who comes knocking at the door but the IRS? little thing called tax evasion. Apparently, Mm. he had filed false tax returns. Apparently, he had created $20 million of fake expenses. So the Department of Justice discovered this, and after he had been in jail for around a month, he spent a month in jail for that contempt of court citation, which I think is amazing. The U.S. Marshals brought him to Reno, Nevada on his federal tax evasion charges. There in Reno, he spent 11 months in jail, and that same reporter from earlier, Joel Stein, visited him and interviewed him for an article for GQ. Stein discovered that while there, Joe had learned to work the system. He charmed people, and he basically ended up running the prison. He was also able to continue to run his company from jail, as he had access to phones, internet, and anyone who wanted to visit him could. So in March of 2008, Joe returns to Panama City Beach to face the charges of child abuse and prostitution in relation to the incident filming the underage girls in the shower and, of course, paying their friends to touch him. The other charges were dropped due to insufficient evidence, and the civil suit was settled. Joe pled no contest to the two remaining charges and was sentenced to 339 days in prison. But because he'd already served time in Reno, he was set free, which makes absolutely no sense to me because he was doing that time 
on tax fraud charges, not child right. abuse and prostitution charges, but also hashtag white male privilege. And I guess that's all it need, all it takes. Hmm. Lee Sullivan said the only reason he welcomed Joe back into town was because he was there to face his charges. He also said, quote, I despise the fact that he demeans and dehumanizes women. They're just youngins and the people taking advantage of them aren't youngins. They are grown up. Lee Sullivan's side note. So as you know, I was deeply charmed by this man and wanted to do a Google to see if he was problematic. <laughs> of course. Now, I didn't find anything too concerning. Um, that doesn't mean there may not be anything, but I couldn't find anything too bad. There was one story about how he did get in trouble in 1996 when he was the police chief of Panama City Beach, and he received an ethics complaint for doing off-duty security consulting within the city limits. Now, uh, the state hearing officer, Susan Kirkland, concluded that the commission should recommend that he be fired. She found his after-hours job, uh, quote, tempted dishonor, although she also found no evidence that he disregarded his public duty in favor of the private clients. But the city council unanimously ordered its attorney to take whatever action necessary to protect Lee Sullivan's job after hearing praises from some of about 130 people who attended a special meeting. The article mentioned that Lee was known for his laid-back style, sense of humor, candor, and his toughness. Lee agreed to stop doing the consulting work and noted that he thought he was acting with the city's permission when he began the work. So ultimately, I'd say, not too bad. Then I came across his blog. He only wrote one blog entry in March 2013, which he called, So What Now? And I'm going to read it for you. <laughs> I've been told by some friends that I should start a blog, so I have. Let me assure you that I will post things you agree with and things you don't agree with. I'm not politically correct. These are simply my views of issues and news, whether they be local, statewide, national, or international. Hopefully along the way, I can bring a smile to your face. I've done a little of a lot. Marine in Vietnam, Panama City Beach De Police Department as an officer and a patrol sergeant, Bay County Sheriff's Department as a deputy and an investigator, Chief of Police of the Panama City police Beach Police Department, Mayor of Panama City Beach, Florida, business owner, husband, and father. I am currently invalid. I love that word. The war left me with some injuries that finally caught up with me. What the enemy did to me was something you could expect, but what my side did to me was probably the hardest part for me to handle. Agent Orange has left me with Parkinson's, and that has been tough for me mentally and physically. I'm always reminded that I served with gallant Marines that died or sacrificed more than I. It is what it, it is, what it is, and all of us have a road to travel, a road that we should be compelled to find the best of, lest we forget the blessings we have and have had. I have the VA to deal with, which has given me a perspective on government health care. It is a system in America that will become more and more familiar with, I am afraid, I have the issue of being disabled, which really sucks for so many reasons, not the least of which is being housebound. My wife will take me out to eat on occasion, and that's good. Not being able to go anywhere on your own is not good. I have more good things in my life than bad. I've been blessed with a wonderful wife and three great sons, and let me not neglect my best buddy and companion, Annie, my lab. So I'm going to see how this blob thing works out. God bless you, and God bless America. I felt so moved. I had to include it in full. I felt that it was interesting that for someone who, again, my gut was like, where is this guy aligning politically? Are we, should I be saying that he's great and is he doing something? I thought sure. it was very disarming to read him talk about how his relationship with healthcare in this country, how there's a problem with it, all of the above. And I will say in the documentary, he was featured. Now that was written in 2013. 
And of course, the documentary was was made recently. I did note that his hands were clenched quite tightly in his footage. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if maybe that was related to the disability. It may not have been. But I just want to say that it's nice to see that Lee Sullivan is still growing strong even 10 years after that post. Now, I should also mention that this incident isn't the only time Joe Francis has run into problems with underage girls. In 2001, at a spring break party in Daytona Beach, a guy came up to a 17-year-old girl named Tabitha on the beach and said there was a contest to win a cash prize. She thought it was a bikini contest where she'd just have to dance on stage and make 100 bucks. So coming in from the beach, this guy herded all these girls to get ready and tried to get them drunk. Tabitha flashed her boobs, which was her personal limit. She describes what happened as turning into a complete porn scene. Now, this is her language, not mine. Girls were fingering each other and making out with each other on stage. She thought, this is not what I signed up for. She says she didn't engage in any of that and left as fast as she could. But cut to five years later, an attorney contacts her and says, are you aware that you're the poster child for pornographic movies? He then told her that she was on the cover of DVDs and movies and on the side of buses. She was a minor when she was filmed. She was 17 years old. And I will remind you, again, she was filmed without her consent. After five years of legal battles, Tabitha ended up settling with a company who had purchased that footage from Girls Gone Wild. The DVDs featuring Tabitha are still currently being sold. So I know I jumped around in time for a minute there to fully cover the court case. So right now, we're going to go back in time to 2004 in our overall timeline. 2004, Girls Gone Wild had launched seven years prior. And at this point, they are pulling in over $100 million a year. Part of the reason the income was so high was because Joe Francis was secretly enrolling customers into a subscription for monthly delivery. That's right. He was tricking them into enrolling in a continuity account. His co-worker, that senior vice president, Lori, said that Joe would she would come in late at night to the office and find Joe personally reprocessing any rejected and declined transactions in the middle of the night. And some would always go through. She said you literally had to cancel your credit card and get a new number if you wanted the charges to stop. So that's part of the reason he made so much money. And I think there was also a reference in the documentary that perhaps Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston also ran into trouble with that, that they inadvertently signed up for a subscription. I'm not sure if that's true or false, but thought it was fun to mention. So that same year, 2004, In Demand, a pay-per-view TV company, approached Girls Gone Wild and asked if they could produce an event to broadcast during the Super Bowl halftime. They were looking for something to go up against the Lingerie Bowl. The Girls Gone Wild halftime games recruited, recruited college girls from all across the country to come to Girls Gone Wild Island, which was actually Casa Aramara, which was Joe's personal property in Mexico. There, the women would participate in a series of naked games. And in Joe's words, quote, We filled the beach with colorful game apparatus, cast a couple of midgets to referee, and had an absolute blast. It's like when he's not even trying, he's still horrible, you know? Two episodes in a row featuring a creep with an island, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this wasn't even an island, but yes, a metaphorical island. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Mm. Casa Aramara, side note. In 1998, Joe took a vacation in Punta Mita, which was a stretch of beach near Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. And after a few return trips, he decided he found the perfect place for a Girls Gone Wild corporate retreat. 
He purchased acres of oceanfront property and designed a resort compound that featured a main house, two guest houses, three pools, and tropical gardens. Construction took five years. When it was finally completed in 2005, Joe named the estate Casa Aramara, which he drew from the local Huichol, indigenous people's names for, uh, sorry, the name for the goddess of the Pacific Ocean. That was their word for it. Joe says that Casa Aramara is one of his biggest accomplishments. Many celebrities have stayed there, including Jennifer Aniston, Vince Vaughn, the Kardashians, the Jenners, Lindsay Lohan, Courtney Cox, Cheryl Crow, Quincy Jones, Farrah Fawcett, Kimberly Stewart, Mimi Rogers, Mario Lopez. Mario Lopez even had his uh, wedding to Courtney Maza held there. The property has also served as a retreat destination for company executives and is the shooting location for the Girls Gone Wild infomercials. Joe often compares it to the Playboy Mansion. Speaking of Lindsay Lohan's side note within a side note. Hey! So there was a clip used in the documentary of Lindsay Lohan on Regis and Kelly in 2004. Uh, and it was kind of being used to, again, show what that time period was like. So I think it was good sure. to also have me mention it briefly. Kelly, in the clip, asks Lindsay, they say you've been enhanced. Is it true? Now, first of all, Lindsay was 17 at the time. So I wanted to find the whole interview to see how egregious the rest of the interview may or may not have been. And spoiler alert, it absolutely was. A mm. couple of things to note. From my research, I found that this episode aired in June 2004. Lindsay turned 18 in July 2004, something that Lindsay herself points out in the interview. Kelly, I've worked with Lindsay and a leotard, and they are fantastic, but they look completely natural to me. I remember Lindsay interrupts her saying, isn't this a little weird for daytime television? I'm 17. Kelly continues, we want the rumors to end today. Is it true? Lindsay, I can't believe you're going to ask me that. Kelly, I have to ask you. Lindsay, no, it's not true. That's ridiculous. I'm not even fully developed yet. The audience laughs heartily. Kelly, well, apparently I'm not fully developed yet either. Regis, you sure aren't. But anyway, when are you turning 18? Lindsay, in three weeks. Lindsay continues to say that it's nice that she's going to be turning 18 because at that point, if she's talking to someone who's 21, it's not going to be written about or it's not going to be like he has to go to jail or something. Kelly then says that she's sure that everyone who's into Lindsay is over 21 and then laughs. And to that I say, is that funny that a 17-year-old would be getting preyed upon by older men? Also, in what world are we commenting to this level of detail about a 17-year-old's breasts on a morning talk show? This was the tone of the era, folks. 2004, again, it was a wild time in retrospect. Now, I also had to then find out what exactly it was that Kelly and Lindsay were filming together with Lindsay in a leotard. So it turns out Kelly was in a promo for the MTV Awards with Lindsay. Lindsay, of course, was hosting the awards that year, and Kelly was putting her through a fake ballet class as part of a prep or training for her hosting for the, the awards. Uh, of that, Kelly said, I look like Peter Pan, and she was va-va-va-voom. And to that I say, no, she wasn't. She was a 17-year-old girl in appropriate dance attire, not asking to be sexualized at all. The comment, or sorry, the spot wasn't sexy in the least, and the comment was simply unnecessary. But again, I am not trying to completely vilify Kelly here, as she was also a product of the time, but I just want to point out how prevalent the sexualizing of young girls was in that era. It should also be noted 
that after Lindsay turned 18 in July 2004, that's when she and Wilder, Wilder, Wilmer Valderrama finally stopped denying that they were in a relationship. They started dating when she was 17 and he was 24. This is what Lindsay was seemingly alluding to in the interview earlier. Um, they also got engaged a couple of months later, but after two months of engagement, they did break up. It should also be noted that Wilmer also dated Demi Lovato when he was 29 and they were 17. He also dated Mandy Moore from 2000 to 2002. I want to remind you, in 2000, Wilmer was 20 and Mandy, 16. His current fiance is named Amanda Pacheco, and she's 32 this year and he's 42. So still an age gap, but at least legal this time. Anyway, back to Joe Francis. So we're yeah. still in 2004. Big, big year for a big douche. Joe meets a girl at spring break in Miami. He claims that she came back to his room at the Ritz-Carlton and they had consensual sex while her friend hung out with his security guard. The next day, she and her friend ordered room service and he eventually told, told them they needed to leave so he could work. She then went to the police and reported that he had raped her. He was ultimately exonerated, which is no surprise, as we all know how rape cases are never taken seriously. But this dude can't just revel in the fact that he was found not guilty. That's not Joe Francis. No. no. What does Joe Francis do? Well, he decided after he got off to sue the woman for $25 million, sorry, $25 million and $36. To clarify, $25 million for defamation and $36 for the cheeseburgers that she and her friend had ordered from the Ritz-Carlton's room service that afternoon. And that, in oh. a nutshell, is Joe Francis. And I think if you haven't already, you can cross the A out on the special me bingo card because A, of course, is for arrogance. And that seems pretty fucking arrogant to me. Now, I know what you're all thinking. Are we still in 2004? We absolutely are. But it is the winter now, so we're nearing the end of the year. Joe comes home from a night out to discover an intruder had broken into his house. He said that as he walked through the front door, a, st a stranger wearing a mask came up behind him and put a gun to his head. Now, according to Joe, this man tied Joe's hands behind his back, pushed him onto the bed, and forced him into a compromising position, all the time keeping the gun pressed against his skull. Joe says he was terrified. The man pulled out a video camera, pointed it at Joe, and ordered him to say, I'm Joe Francis, and I love Boys Gone Wild. For over six hours, the man made threats against Joe's life as he ransacked Joe's house. He stole a watch, a Picasso, and several other valuables, and then marched Joe into the garage, where he forced Joe into the back of Joe's car, and they drove off. Eventually, the man pulled over, warned Joe not to move, and drove away in another car. Joe eventually broke free and called the police. Um, but here's what's interesting. That was kind of Joe's recounting of the story, which is all factual from everything else that I could find. Sure. But he left out something very specific. The video that was made by this man began with a terrified Joe Francis staring into the camera at gunpoint with a large pink dildo spinning around in front of his butt, not inserted, and he says, so it goes, you know, the two-shot type thing. Mm. I'm from Boys Gone Wild, and I like it up the ass. Why Joe left that detail out, I have no idea. But it's on the video. That's a fact. Hmm. So the, the day after the incident, Joe got a call from this man demanding that Joe pay him a half a million dollars or he would release the videotape to the public. Joe said his response was, go fuck yourself. 
The man eventually called, uh, hung up, but called back the next day. And this time the police recorded that call and several subsequent calls, but they couldn't put together enough evidence to make an arrest. Amazingly, a short time later, Joe's ex-girlfriend, Paris Hilton, happened to be at a party where she overheard someone bragging about committing this crime against Joe. So she reported this to the police and they arrested a man named Darnell Riley. Now, Paris Hilton and Joe Francis allegedly dated in 2003. However, she told the LAPD that Joe was absolutely not her ex-boyfriend when she spoke with them. Either way, after she helped Joe get his attacker caught, he chose to publicly speak about what Paris was like in bed. Now, he was speaking positively, but I'm certain that a woman who had spent so many years of her life being abused, taken advantage of, sexualized, probably didn't appreciate that after she did him a real solid by getting his attacker captured. It should also be noted, in 2022, Joe Francis went on a podcast and stated that Paris had, quote, beaten him when he tried to break up with her once. He also stated that she was incredibly drunk at the time and to hold him to the standard that we know that women who report sex crimes and domestic violence are held to, I will say he didn't take any photos of any alleged injuries at the time So it's basically his word against hers. Now, I want to make it clear. I don't condone any violence of any kind. And if she did beat him, that's absolutely not okay. But Joe also has a funny way of twisting stories, which you're going to hear about more about towards the end of the episode. So I will just say I am a little skeptical. Darnell Riley pled guilty to robbery at gunpoint and attempted extortion as a part of a deal with prosecutors who agreed to drop the burglary, burglary, carjacking, and kidnapping uh, for ransom charges. Riley was sentenced to more than 10 years in prison for these crimes, which is kind of funny that it's such a significant amount of time in comparison to what one scumbag we know served not only for paying two 17-year-old girls to touch his genitals, but also for producing a video of two more 17-year-old girls having sex in a shower. But Joe is white and Riley is not, so perhaps there may be a correlation there. Riley's lawyer said that he believed Riley's motivation to commit the crime was Joe's poor treatment of women, possibly a woman that he personally knew, and that this was obviously to give Joe a taste of his own medicine. However, in 2018, Darnell Riley released a book called The Life and Crimes of Darnell Riley under the name Riley Perez. He seems to go by both names. In that book, Riley claims that him committing this crime was him simply acting on orders from a notorious Genovese mob boss, Matty the Horse Ianello. Riley said he was told to rough Joe up. Now, the horse died in 2012 at his home in Old Westbury on Long Island. He was 92 at the time. And I'm curious if that's why Darnell Riley felt he could talk about this publicly as his book was released six years after the horse's death. At the time, of course, he pled guilty to the robbery and attempted extortion. Um... He also mentions in his bio that he did spend some time in juvie. I found one source saying that this was because Darnell Riley was convicted of a double homicide committed during a jewelry store heist when he was 15 years old. I could not find a second source on that other than Joe Francis, who also wrote in his uh, odyssey known as his personal bio um, that Riley had apparently served time for killing two people. So, If we trust Joe Francis as a second source, it does feel like that could be true. So, we finally made it to 2005. 
Joe tells a story of shooting a scene for an infomercial where he was supposed to look, where it was supposed to look like he was in a spaceship with a bunch of women. They apparently traveled to Moscow and shot on a special airplane that airplane that can simulate zero G experiences. And apparently all the girls threw up. But that was the only headline news in 2005 for old Joe. Uh, <laughs> nothing else in that bio of note. 2006, a reporter named Claire Hoffman from the Los Angeles Times approached Joe. He said that she said she wanted to profile his company for the newspaper's business section. He also claims that she called him daily for almost a month before he finally agreed to meet her. He invited her to his Santa Monica office, their telephone call center, and the Girls Gone Wild warehouse. And now I'd like to read you some of Joe's words. She seemed impressed with my company and fascinated with me on a personal level. At one point, I was explaining some aspect of my business to her. I saw something in her eyes that gave me a bit of a shock. Call me crazy. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. But I'm rarely wrong about these things. As she leaned closer and stared into my eyes, I realized why she wasn't paying attention to my business story anymore. She was thinking about something else. I swear to God she was falling in love. This was not good news for me because she was one of those women you feel kind of sorry for. Not at all attractive and neither bright enough nor interesting enough to make up for it. When she told me she was required to write her newspaper stories at a 7th grade reading level, I remember thinking, how does she manage to write so far above her capacity? What a charmer. What a charmer. Joe goes on to detail um, that he should have known the piece wouldn't have ended up being about his business, but would be more about his personal life. But he didn't. So he invited this woman to come with him to a Girls Gone Wild filming event in Chicago. He says he was creeped out by how infatuated she was with him. At one point, he even alleges that she tried to kiss him, but he backed away and said, quote, I don't hook up with fat girls. He added that he was only half joking. In Chicago, they joined the Girls Gone Wild tour bus at a club packed with partying college students. Uh, he says that he saw that reporter chatting to the police officers outside at one point. And when she asked one of them a question, the cop said she wasn't allowed to write his answer down on her notepad. Joe says he was astonished. Don't you think that's a violation of the First Amendment? He asked. The officer doesn't think you have the right to report what he says. He says that she just shrugged. Then Joe starts to tell her about his experience in Panama City Beach and decides that he needs to show her what the police had done to him. So in his words, he pressed her against the police car in a playful demonstration of how the Florida police had, quote, chilled his constitutional rights. Joe alleged that the cop and his crew members present saw what he was trying to explain and laughed at the horseplay, but the reporter apparently missed his point. Joe says she turned on him with a strange look in her eyes. Quote, Perhaps I triggered some traumatic memory from her past because suddenly she wasn't smiling anymore. She stormed away, called for a cab, and left. I never saw her again, but a few weeks later, her article came out in the Los Angeles Times, and it was a complete hatchet job. Funny thing about her piece is that any thinking person would find it hard to believe, which it is, because no person could be as bad as the fictional character she profiled in her story. <laughs> I just love that this is the moment that maybe he could have had like a moment of reflection because it's him, but it still doesn't. Um, nope. He goes on to say that she accused him of raping a girl that he met that night in Chicago. He claims he said that it was a supposed virgin who turns out to be a local stripper. Again, th this the arrogance. Uh, and then he says, quote, 
Let me repeat that as a brother of three sisters and as a guy who has no trouble getting women that I would never force myself on a girl. Joe then alleges that the reporter convinced this girl to file the rape report three months after the incident as a way to help herself avoid getting sued by Joe for the article. I want to repeat to you, he is suggesting that this reporter was trying to use this girl who's named Janelle to help herself. But Janelle told her story in the documentary. So according to her, she was 18 at the time of the incident. She and a friend used to go out every Thursday, and that night they went to the club knowing that Girls Gone Wild would be there, but they didn't think that they would get picked. They were more just excited that a celebrity would be there. Because, let's remember at that time, Joe Francis was absolutely an extremely famous, very rich person. Janelle said, Joe approached her, grabbing her, saying, I choose you. And she was like, okay, for what? What's happening? Then she says he started feeding her drinks like water. She says she took them because she was excited to be hanging with a celebrity. Janelle said that Joe was nice at first, kept telling her how pretty she was, how good she looked, and then eventually asked if she wanted to go back onto the bus with him. She thought that meant that she was going to be expected to flash. He brought her and another gal to the back room on the bus and asked if they wanted to be on Girls Gone Wild. Janelle said that at this point she was almost blackout drunk, and she said, I guess, why not? She says that they had to show their IDs and fill out a form. There's actually footage in the documentary of a cameraman telling a girl, oh, just sign anywhere, because she literally says in the moment, I can't write, and she sounds extremely intoxicated. After Janelle signed, Joe asked her to go onto the bed, and him and the camera guy said, go into the drawer, there are objects in there that we want you to touch yourself with. She says she went with it because she felt very pressured. There were two big guys in front of her, so she did it. She says she felt intimidated, and when the camera guy left the room, that's when Joe turned mean. Janelle says that Joe physically pushed her on the bed and forced himself on top of her. She said it hurt. She said that Joe kept trying to kiss her, saying it was going to be okay. She asked him to get off. He did not. It should also be noted that she was a tiny 100-pound girl at the time. Uh, So I can also understand why all of this would feel incredibly intimidating. It does for any woman, but she's a child. She was an 18-year-old child. Janelle says she absolutely did not consent that he raped her and then got off of her like she was garbage. Janelle says she went to the police station. She did not clarify when, so I'm not sure about that. But she said she felt the police didn't believe her and she was brushed off. Nothing to this day has ever been done about it. I want to remind you, however, Joe Francis said a couple of weeks after the article came out where this woman said that Janelle had been raped. Then he said, well, she coerced her into reporting it three months later. So... Are we to believe that she ran ran an article in the L.A. Times saying this, but then three months after the fact coerced this woman into doing it? Because that doesn't add up to me. Nope. A spokesperson for the police gave the following statement to The Independent on the matter. In 2006, the Melrose Park Police investigated an allegation of criminal sexual misconduct. The incident was presented to the state's attorney office for prosecution. After many repeated attempts to contact the victim without response, the Melrose Police Department closed the investigation. Had the victim maintained contact and cooperation with the MPPD, charges would have been brought by the Cook County State's Attorney. Way to victim shame. How fun. 2007. Girls Gone Wild puts out a clothing line. Joe says the clothing line is 90% tailored to women because, quote, let's be honest, we all know women love attention. Really? Believes that. He hammers that. So often. Mm -hmm. 2008, 
They launched Girls Gone Wild magazine, a monthly non-nude publication aimed at young people. Then in 2009, the U.S. government was bailing out the U.S. automobile and banking industries. Hustler magazine publisher Larry Flint and Joe Francis decided on a whim to make a public announcement of their intention to petition the U.S. Congress for a $5 billion financial bailout for the adult entertainment industry. Some felt this was a PR stunt, but Joe says his intent was to make an impact on the discussions surrounding the government's role in business. The government, obviously, ignored this request. 2008, Joe also appeared on the Tyra Banks talk show and compared his time in prison in Nevada to Nelson Mandela's time in prison. Oh, my God. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Joe said, Mm -hmm. quote, The one thing I did do was stand up for what's right. Like Mandela sat in prison because he stood up for what was right, you know, against apartheid. Tyra responds, but can you compare apartheid to Girls Gone Woo? And it seems that that's what he absolutely did, Tyra. He he just did. Mm -hmm. 2009 didn't come up in Joe's oeuvre of a bio. And it probably was because there was some especially bad behavior done on his part that year. A woman named Jade Nicole, who I immediately recognized as the Jade who was dating Brody Jenner on the hills at the time, was physically attacked by Joe Francis at a crowded nightclub and the whole thing was caught on a security camera. Apparently, Joe thought that Jade was talking shit about him. He went up to confront her, grabbed her by the face, so she either threw a drink at him or she kind of spilled a drink on him as she kind of pushed him away. She then turned away from him, and he responded by violently grabbing her by the back of her hair, pulling her towards him, and then he flat out punched her in the face. Oh my God. Yep, and it's on camera. It's grainy security camera footage, but it's vicious. The force and speed with which he pulls her by her hair made my stomach turn. Mm. Joe says that he's never hit a woman and that the footage that night confirmed his version of events. So now we're into straight up delusion uh, because we all can see it. It's there. Uh, But he says, no, no, I've seen the footage and I didn't do that on there. Yep. Joe and Jade reached a confidential settlement in regards to that matter. In December 2010, Joe got divorced from his wife, Christina McLarty, after just a few weeks of marriage. They dated around four, for around four years before this. I had not seen any conversation about this absolutely anywhere, but I saw it yesterday and added it in here on the timeline as I felt I needed to. Fun fact, Christina has been married to David Arquette since 2015. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. 2011. Christina Carlozzi, a former detective with the LAPD for 24 years, says that a group of girls celebrating their grad wanted to go out to Supper Club in Hollywood. Joe Francis approached one of them that he seemed to take a liking to, and eventually he convinced three of the gals to come with him in his car back to his house in Bel Air. Once arriving at the house, the girls decided they didn't really want to be there, so one girl tried to call a taxi, and in that moment, she felt Joe grab her neck, throw her down to the floor, where he proceeded to slam her head four to five times into the floor. He told the girls that they were not allowed to leave, and then he turned to her and said, do not call 911, I own the police, I own the LAPD. The girls luckily were able to run away to the taxi that had managed to be called, but this woman in question needed to go to the hospital where she was diagnosed with a concussion, was bleeding, and a large chunk of her hair was missing as it had been ripped out. 
Oh, my God. Christina Carlozzi tried to contact Joe for a statement. She got a call from his lawyer who said it didn't happen, he didn't do it, and that's all they would provide to the police. The city attorney obviously reviews everything, and they decided to file charges against Joe. During, during Christina's investigation, she found many other allegations of domestic violence and abuse against women by Joe. Apparently, he has a pattern. He grabs women by the back of their heads or by their hair to get an advantage and then throws them to the ground to hit their heads. It's very similar to what he did with Jade Nicole. There was just simply no space to throw her to the ground because they were in a tight crowd at the time. So I'm assuming that's why he punched her in the head instead of slamming her head into the ground, which has been noted in multiple cases. Christina says she's been trained in different kinds of personalities, and she definitely thinks Joe is a narcissist, and if he doesn't get his way, he does take to violence. Joe was charged and convicted of false imprisonment, intimidation of a witness, and battery in relation to this incident. But Joe didn't even bother to show up to his trial most of the days that it was happening, which is truly, truly unbelievable. In 2013, he was sentenced to 270 days in jail, followed by three years of probation. He was also ordered to attend anger management and psychological counseling for one year. Joe appealed the case, and in California, you can remain out on bail until your appeal comes through. So when asked by a paparazzi how he felt after the trial, he said, quote, I'm out on appeal, and the appeals process should take two to four years, so ask me in four years. He also said, on camera, and I'm going to warn you, this is extreme. Quote, that jury, you should be put in jail, you stupid idiots. If they had the death penalty for juries, you should be shot dead by a firing squad. Just to convict people because you're jealous of them is the R word, which I don't like to say. Yeah. <sighs> he also told The Hollywood Reporter, I want that jury to know that each and every one of you are mentally fucking R word and that you should be euthanized because, as Darwin said, you have naturally selected yourself. He did later apologize for that Hollywood Reporter statement, but not the other ones. Ah. After his sentencing, Joe called Christina Carlozzi and said he was leaving the country. And, quote, is there anything we can do to make this all go away? She said, absolutely not. It's not going away. So then he hung up on her, and she believes that it was in that moment he made the choice to flee to Mexico. Because... This is something I didn't know until watching the uh, Rich and Shameless documentary. Joe Francis has been a fugitive at large living in Mexico since 2013. How is this not all over the news is my question. Still? Yep. Like for the last decade. Ten years. Ten years. If he was ever to enter the United States, he would be arrested at the airport. Get out of town. Yeah. But wow. they also get into the fact that because the crimes are technically misdemeanors, that the the Justice Department isn't going to, like, hunt him down for this. Yeah. So, more on that in a moment. Around 2011, Girls Gone Wild did a show that was a search for the hottest girl in America. Word around the Girls Gone Wild office was that Joe was actually just looking for someone for himself. And sure enough, the woman who won, Abby Wilson, and Joe absolutely started dating. At the time, she was 24. He was 39. In 2012, Joe lost $2 million gambling at one of Steve Wynn's Las Vegas casinos. I couldn't find out for the life of me which casino specifically. In fact, it unraveled me for the better part of two hours. 
<laughs> but <laughs> we do know that Steve Wynn created some of the most notable casinos in, uh, in Las Vegas, including the Mirage, Treasure Island, Bellagio, and Wynn Las Vegas. Should also be noted that he resigned as Wynn Resorts chairman and CEO in 2018 after dozens of women accused him of sexual misconduct. He, of course, denies the allegations. But Joe refused to pay this $2 million in this gambling, gambling debt and instead chose to publicly state that Steve Wynn emailed Joe's friend Quincy Jones threatening Joe's life. Now, in Joe Francis's Dickens level of verbosity, the corpus of a bio, Joe talks about his next-door neighbor, Quincy Jones, with extreme affection, to a point that almost feels odd. One particularly charming memory was when he recalled the time that he brought an 18-year-old girl over to Quincy's house, and Quincy quipped, I've had hangovers older than you. He goes on to talk about how Quincy is such an amazing friend that they've been all over the world together. He supported Joe when he was accused of rape. He flew to Florida to be with his parents during one of his many trials. And so on and so forth. So with that in mind, Joe claimed that Quincy Jones showed him these emails allegedly sent by Steve Wynn saying that Joe should fear for his life and that he was going to hit him in the back of the head with a shovel and bury him in the desert. It was announced that Quincy Jones would be testifying against Joe Francis in this trial. Joe then told TMZ, quote, even if Quincy Jones has been forced by Steve Wynn and his cronies to testify and possibly lie for Wynn, which I still don't believe is the case, I am 100% confident I will win this case. In court, when Quincy Jones was asked, did you ever hear Steve Wynn threaten to kill Joe Francis? Quincy answered, absolutely not. He also stated, I don't think I've ever seen an email from Steve Wynn. Where are these emails? So if we're to believe that Joe made all of this up, including the story of the emails, it's interesting to me that the detail about how he was going to be killed was getting hit in the back of the head when we know that Joe has a pattern of grabbing women in the back of the head. Just saying. Ultimately, Steve Wynn won that defamation case, and Joe was ordered to pay him $40 million. That judgment was upheld on appeal, but the amount was lowered to $19 million. Now, Steve Wynn has been trying to collect this money from Joe since 2012. Joe attempted to prevent him from seizing his assets by making his Girls Gone Wild company strategically file for bankruptcy, in which his Bel Air home was transferred to a shell company, which then transferred the property to an entirely different shell company. But... As of February 2019, according to a U.S. Marshal's deed, the property now belongs to Mr. Steve Wynn. But as we know, Joe can't use a home in the United States right now anyway. So, in 2014, Joe and his girlfriend Abby welcomed twin daughters, Athena and Alexandria, who were conceived using IVF. Now, Abby was 26 at the time and didn't have fertility issues. So, why IVF? Well, in what is quite possibly the absolute creepiest detail in this story, Joe and Abby used IVF because Joe specifically wanted daughters. Oh, my God. Yep. 2016, Maria Francis, Joe's mother, entered an order to stop domestic violence. This was done in an attempt to protect she and her husband, Joe's father, from being contacted by Joe. 
It was granted September 2016. Joe's father, Ray Francis, also filed for a restraining order. In the declaration part of it, it states, I am 71 years old and the father of Joe. I am afraid he may harm my family. He has proven that when he is angry, he does not hesitate to harm his mother or his sister and me. A noteworthy example is that at Thanksgiving, he came to his mother and me with a coat rack, and at one point he had his younger sister, Christina, in a chokehold. 2019, there's a video of Joe and his girlfriend, Abby, celebrating their shared birthday of April 1st. They seem very happy in this video, but as we all know, social media is not an accurate representation of people's real lives. August 1st, 2020, Joe is angry at Abby. He's being verbally abusive. So Abby starts recording audio on her phone. Trigger warning, this is incredibly upsetting. So Joe apparently tested positive for COVID and wanted Abby to give him some sort of vitamin shots, but she didn't want to get near him as she was trying to avoid getting COVID herself. A completely reasonable request. Yes. Joe flies off the handle, and I think the fact that he she started recording him in the moment suggests to me that this is clearly not the first time this kind of thing has likely happened. Mm. So she tells him that she's recording. Apparently, when she didn't want to get near him, he had spit in her face and said, there, now you're infected too. I could not find a full transcript of the entire recording, but there are pieces that were used in the Rich and Shameless doc with Abby's permission, so I will recount some of those now. And again, these are upsetting. You can hear Abby saying things like, you're scaring me, I need you to calm down. Joe replies, fuck you, you selfish cunt. She then says she's going to call security. Then you just hear her start to scream, stop it, stop it. You're hurting me, Joe. That is when Joe started to choke her. Abby then is saying, you're killing me over and over, followed by Joe saying, I hope you fucking die. Joe, stop it, stop it, stop it. You fucking bitch, get out of my house. And then it is just blood curdling screaming. And we can hear all this. This exists. This is not, he said, she said, this exists. According to the police report, Abby had become afraid and hid in the closet, closing the door behind her, but Joe started shaking the door open. So she opened it, ran into another room in fear. He told her he was kicking her out, proceeded to grab her right arm, turn her toward him, grabbing her by the neck and spitting in her face, according to this report. At that point, the court documents say Abby tried to call security, the security team for the house, but Francis ran at her, grabbed her by the hair and pushed her to the ground. The report said... uh, And I think I'm speculating, but I think this is around the time she started recording. Could be wrong. He then allegedly stepped on her head and put all of his weight onto her body, wringing her neck and spitting in her face again before telling her to leave. They both got up when Francis grabbed her by the hair again, threw her to the ground and dragged her down the hallway. While he was pulling her, he was allegedly shaking her hair, making her head hit against the floor, which we know is a pattern that he has shown in the past. Abby sustained injuries that took more than two weeks to heal and required special medical treatment. It also should be noted that one of the reports stated that their children witnessed the attack. Oh, my God. Joe was taken into custody under what is called a preventative detention on August 13th, 2020, and he was released on September 8th, 2020, when the charges were dropped. The charges were dropped on the condition that he attend psychological therapy. Abby Wilson was granted a temporary restraining order, and she took her twin daughters and went into hiding from Joe. Joe told the media in December 2020 that Abby had kidnapped their children. He was supposed to see his daughters for Christmas, but he said his ex had gone off the grid. 
Abby's representatives said that Joe had uh, his in-person visitations revoked to his constant threats against Abby and that the judge in Mexico was the one who had denied Joe access to his children. Joe claims without evidence that Abby became hooked on fentanyl and that he believes she's hiding in the Mexican interior with her narco-trafficker boyfriend and their children. Absolutely nothing to prove that. Hmm. Completely seemingly made up. He said that it was the height of the non-vaccinated part of the pandemic when she was heavy into using those kinds of drugs. That was in an interview with the Daily Mail. He also claims that she made the whole August 1st incident up and that she bribed Mexican authorities to charge him with a crime. Joe claimed that all of a sudden Abby made up some fake domestic violence thing and then paid a prosecutor named Karen 100,000 pesos to have him arrested and charged. It's backed up by nothing, Joe said. You can talk to my staff. I'll pay you a million dollars if you can get one of them to say I've ever yelled at her. I just don't do that. And to that I say, sir, there is audio. You know there is audio. She told you that she was recording. This is a level of delusion and and narcissism that I think, honestly, we have maybe not seen before. And we've seen some pretty extreme things, but this to me right now is off the charts. He said as a result of the charges, he's only seen his kids nine days in the last two years. During Christmas, again, he accused her of parental kidnapping. He said, quote, I have joint custody of my children. They should be allowed to see their father. But instead, she's crazy. For the record, he does not have joint custody. He only had supervised visits, which were then revoked because he kept threatening Abby. He said this is beyond a custody battle. It's a crime. It's a real crime. Um, He then claims that Abby's alleged narco-trafficker boyfriend had Joe's lawyer kidnapped for three days and zapped him with a taser on his genitalia to torture him. <coughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're brother loves to write a story here. Really, yep. writing a tall tale. Francis compared himself to Liam Neeson in the movie Taken. <laughs> Someone obviously trying to track down his daughter's kidnappers. He said he's tried to help his ex, but he feels her addiction has taken control of her. I've tried to get her to go to therapy sessions, but the therapists are like, there's nothing I can do, he said. I want to make it clear, Abby has done nothing illegal. The courts currently know of her whereabouts, and Joe has not been paying child support. That's right. Abby leaked a series of WhatsApp messages in response to him publicly defaming her, and these messages are truly horrifying. I'll read them to you now. She says, so if you'd like to help with your children's education, their education can remain the same. Otherwise, I have no option but to transfer them. So seemingly this is about them maybe leaving private school to go to a public school, what have you. Sure. Joe Francis responds by saying, I'm not paying for anybody I don't see. Why would I pay for them? I don't even know them. You kidnapped them a year ago. It's your problem. I don't care anymore. I'm going to go have a new baby. Sorry, I'm going to go have new kids with another girl. You're on your own now, Abby. Deal with it. Wow. That was her response, in all caps. Wow. She said, incredible. He said, I'm not paying for shit. She said, you don't care about your children. He says, not my problem. Stop texting me about it. You are going to die in the grave you dug for yourself, and I'm going to make sure of that. You will get no money for anything from me. She responds, you mean your children will not get any money. If you don't care about them now, you never cared about them. That's who you are. He responds, no money. The more they suffer now, the more they're going to hate you later for what you did. 
You're on your own. Stop contacting me. I have no responsibility or obligation for the children that you stole a year ago. Like you said, they're yours. Okay, you support them. Bye. Want to make it clear, uh, Joe, you, you absolutely have a responsibility and obligation for your children. Doesn't matter if you've seen them or haven't seen them. That is not uh, anything that the law has ever stated, that not seeing your children means you don't have to pay child support. Now, here's something I just found again at the last minute that I think is fascinating. Shortly after this incident, um, the the domestic violence incident happened in 2020. There was a massive fire at Casa Aramara. 20 people had been renting the resort at the time, and they all had to be moved to a hotel. The main house burned completely to the ground. The other buildings were damaged, but but okay. And Joe apparently was not on the property when it happened, but arrived shortly after to assess the damage. Now, I'm not speculating anything, but the timing seems very interesting. And because they had been living at Casa Aramara, one could argue that if you were entering into some sort of, I don't know, court battle of some kind, and then your house burned down, maybe evidence would be lost. But again, Mm. I'm merely speculating. It should also uh, be noted that the most recent posts on Joe's Instagram are from November 2022, and they are missing posters for his two daughters that I'm pretty sure he made himself. And why am I sure of that? Well, he lists their race as Mexican. And while I'm sure that the kids could absolutely be Mexican citizens, that would be their citizenship, not their race. They are white children born to white parents. It should also be noted that he posted these the same day he posted a slideshow that he had made of him, uh, pictures of him with his famous friends like the Kardashians and Mario Lopez that he captioned, oh, the good old times when we were young. This slideshow was set to As It Was by Harry Styles, and I want you to keep Harry out of your dumb bullshit, Joe. Not my boy. (laughs) The fact that he had to put up that pathetic video before posting these missing posters for his children is the most classic detail of this for me. He's fame first, family second. Now, I want you to know, I not only read his tome of a personal bio, but I also read his business bio. And it was all the same information as in the personal bio, except I should mention that he refers to himself as the consummate businessman twice. I then skimmed the legal section and as suspected, he once again, for a third time, simply repeated himself, except this time he has photos and links to past interviews uh, tagged in there. As I stated before, currently Joe Francis is a fugitive from justice, but he is also a legal resident of Mexico, and the U.S. State Department isn't going to extradite someone that is a misdemeanor fugitive. Unfortunately for him, or rather, unfortunately for us, he may never uh, do time for those crimes that he was convicted of, as he can legally stay in Mexico, and no one's going to try to get him to, uh, to do otherwise. The ripple effect from Girls Gone Wild has left many women featured in the videos feeling exploited and exposed. Even worse, there are many stories of women who were kicked out of their schools, churches, and some parents even kicked them out of their homes, all because they appeared in these videos. Most of these girls were extremely young. And even if you're 18, your brain doesn't stop developing until you're 25, something I like to remind people of on this show quite often. So these girls were making choices that they didn't know were potentially going to start sorry, potentially going to follow them for the rest of their lives. There is a big difference between a girl flashing at a party and a girl being coerced to do that or more after being supplied alcohol when they are underage. 
and then told to sign a complex legal document stating that the footage can live on in videos for the rest of time. How is it not a crime that these men were allowed to get away with getting girls under the legal drinking age often intoxicated to the point that they are signing a legal document that they aren't able to understand? You can't get a tattoo if you've been drinking. Why? Because it lasts for life. You also shouldn't be having be able to sign your rights to your image away if you are intoxicated, period. And there's nothing to protect these women in those in that term. If these women regret this experience and view it as a mistake, they're never going to be able to walk away from that mistake. And I don't think that that's fair. Joe Francis said of Girls Gone Wild, quote, For me, it was really important that all the participants were willing and that it remained a fun brand for everyone involved. It wasn't exploitative at all. He also said that if someone requested not to be put in a video after the fact, he would absolutely remove their footage. But there are countless stories of girls waking up the next morning and changing their minds, their parents getting a lawyer and going into the office where Joe would tell them to their faces that the girl signed a contract so they were shit out of luck. In one case, Scott, that former Girls Gone Wild editor, said one girl woke up in a similar uh, manner the next day, freaked out. She and her dad go in with a lawyer. And after five minutes of conversation, they left. Joe immediately said, I want this girl in the show. And as he walked out, he said, and I want her on the box cover. This man is vindictive, conniving, and violent. And with his pattern of physically abusing women, if he isn't stopped, we know how dark things can get. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Lauren Ash. There are no appropriate words other than holy shit. I know. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, so I can uh, collect myself and figure out what I've just heard. So hit the can, stretch it out, and we will be right back with our final thoughts on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to True Crime and Cocktails. I... (laughs) Fuck. What the hell was that? Um, (laughs) I know. Like, I knew about him in like a general sense yeah but, um god what a scumbag what truly. a full on scumbag truly good god um 
so <laughs> who knows? It's been a while since I've taken notes like this. So heaven help us all. I love it. Uh, you said early 2000s, uh, pointing out that it was a different time. I wrote down dresses were worn over jeans. <laughs> and then I wrote shout out queen Ashley Tisdale. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love her. her. Uh, Our love of the same font, I mean, as an office supply aficionado. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. I consider a font to be a supply. It's fine. It's one of your tools. It's one of your tools. It is one of my tools. And I don't know why it's a favorite, but it is. For something, it's just the most calming. It is absolutely everything I use uh, when I'm printing stuff. So 100%. Um, using the phrase balls out <laughs> tells me everything I need to know about Joe immediately. Yep. First sentence. First sentence. Immediately. We're there. Yep. Frat boy never got over it. And, uh, uh turns out it was right. Uh, I did not see the name Babette coming. No one did. That threw me. That yeah. threw me a lot. Um, dated a toy Barbie. Mm-hmm. If a boy... Wants to play with a Barbie. Wants to carry it around. By all means. Yep. But when a boy starts saying, that's my girlfriend, and, oh, I'm going to have to break up with her because she doesn't have somewhere for me to stick it, that's a problem. (laughs) Feels advanced for a child of that age as a concept. For like six, seven? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's horrifying to think about. Yep. Um, Also, his first crush being a full adult at six? I mean, and, and his also, memory of her is disturbing. Th- the thing that I forgot to comment about on the moment, too, was like he had such a crush on her. And so then he put a tack on her chair for her to sit on. Yep. Like it's in- it's just interesting to me again. It's it is. I think it is dark. Like I, I get that whatever some kids may do shit like that. But like in his overall story, it just adds to the darkness. Yeah, it's 100 percent whether he realizes it or not. It's a hundred percent. Ah, she's not paying attention to me. Well, then I'm gonna physically hurt her. Yep. And control is, and wanting wanting gross. to be in control of her attention and you know control of her hurting her body. Like again, to do that as a child and then grow up and abuse women, it does feel like there is a potential. I'm not saying all kids that do that would grow up to abuse women, but I'm saying for him, it's like there is a connection. I oh, think. this makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Um. He didn't get attention from girls in high school because of his braces. Maybe, Joe, just maybe, they found your personality off-putting. Just a thought. Could be. Uh, Just repeated excuses for everything. Yep. Anything that didn't go his way, well, he had a reason why. Yep. And usually it's because someone lied or someone was corrupt or something else, but... Always an excuse for everything and why it's never his fault. Yep. So, yeah. Um, you said Eight Mile was a surprise hit. I knew it'd be gold. <laughs> <laughs> we knew. We knew. We knew. Well, well, we helped. We saw it twice. Twice. In like two days at the theater. Wit- witnessing people standing and applauding a rap battle like in in real time was something else. I think it, we need to rewatch that. We need a, to revisit that. We do. It's a core memory for me. Yeah. For sure. Um, now, I pretty much 
uh, filled in my entire bingo card. I wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> you'll also love, I'll try and show it. I, I tried to, I just got to a point where I just like started this is highlighting. Amazing. The only ones I didn't highlight were sense of self-importance, which I'm like, I should highlight that. I think that's throughout. Um, and can <laughs> only be around people who are important. And it's like, well, he made that fucking slideshow. Oh, yeah. His entire Instagram is just pictures of him with the Kardashians and Mar Mario Lopez and famous people. Oh, and I bet the Kardashians and Mario are like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> I know. Let's I, not. I know. I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are in their friendships at this point, but. I I would I don't know. Well, I just would know be. I have uh, updated the bingo card, and I will say, bingo. <laughs> oh God, um, a zoom lens. Gross. I can't. The level of violation turns my stomach. Uh, as a mother to an almost college student, I am horrified and uneasy by all of this. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Yeah, nope, this is no, no, hitting it's close fine. to home. Hitting uh, but you know, again, there's a big difference between that happening, partying, whatever, gals are yeah. like, whatever, but when you don't have agency in being filmed and then you have no rights over the use of that film, that is, that to me is like... It doesn't even make sense. No. I know. I don't get it. And I don't get how you can sue someone and win, but they can still use your image. I guess that's what you give up in the settlement. I don't know. I just, I'll never, yeah. I'll never understand it. Um, the quote, he don't have a rat's clue and he don't give a rat's rear. I couldn't be happier. I know. I love that. I couldn't man. be happier with that. It's just the rat's clue. As someone who once said bag of worms, <sighs> is he just misspeaking? He, I think, you he know, might be. it is more than possible, be. but again, so charmed by it. Uh, you mentioned tax evasion. I wrote, it's always tax evasion with these richy riches. <laughs> yep. It is. Uh, if their age ends in teen, keep walking. Yep. Just in general. That's a good rule of thumb. Um, oh, again, how can they use a girl's image on a DVD cover without their consent? I'm just, I can't. I can't. I'm so angry about that. Yeah. Um. I'm impressed that Wilmer ever went legal. Yeah. I well, it, it took it took him probably to like 40, but yeah. <laughs> he got there. Eventually. He got there. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your usage of the term douche. Again, she writes things down. This is just the journey we're all on. I love it. Um, Joe, keep Paris Hilton's name out of your mouth. Yeah. Oh, I and can't. see, again, I wanted to make it clear at the time. I'm not saying that that may not have happened and I'm not condoning it if it did. But when you get to the end of this and you see how he's literally like, I've never yelled at my wife. And it's like, there's audio proof. That just makes me question, you know, everything he said. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, 100. I, I absolutely agree. Uh, you said Maddie the horse. I wrote down, wasn't expecting a second horse reference in this episode. <laughs> Vastly different. Wildly. But uh, still didn't see it coming. Uh, Joe saying he doesn't hook up with fat girls. I said that noise you're hearing is every large lady on the planet breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah. Spoiler alert, Joe. Yeah. 
not interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you didn't even get the offer. Nope. So, no thank you. No thank you. Uh, there is footage of you punching a woman and somehow you said it never happened. Absolutely to the core of my being, I mean this fuck off Joe. <laughs> uh, Joe saying, I own the police. Whether true or not, that statement is terrifying. Especially someone with that much money. A rich white man. Uh-huh. I'd believe it, but fucking gross. Uh, what is it with Joe and purposely giving women head injuries? It's terrifying. I, like... Uh, what happened that he's not saying that he's like, you go for the head? Well, he, witnessed, his that, thought, he witnessed that sheep get shot in the head. I don't know whether that's great call. literally connected or not. But I also wondered, is he, I don't know, even know the word, uh, is he vicious enough to think if I give them a head injury, I can be like, well, see, we can't believe them. They have a head injury. Oh, I nothing would shock me. Nothing would shock me. But it is, it is, it, the, the, the footage of Jade Nicole, it's, it's, Again, it's from a distance, it's grainy, and even then, it literally made my stomach turn. Like, I was like, oh my god, like, it's so violent. Just, like, the speed and the, the like, force he uses, it's chilling. Right. Um, Joe not being legally allowed in the U.S. Mm -hmm. is, I'll say it, delicious. Yep. Um, I also uh, wish he was stuck someplace more unpleasant, but I don't have... I know. Um, an answer for that. Uh, you said Steve Wynn. I immediately wrote down Trading Spaces Carpenter Amy Wynn Pastor. Not related that I know of, but. Because <laughs> somehow I can't remember things I'm supposed to do day to day. But my brain is like, do you want to list off the carpenters from Trading Spaces? It's it's unfair. It's I unfair. get it. Uh, Joe specifically wanting daughters. Uh, no man who violates women should be near daughters, let alone have them himself. Saying Absolutely. Uh, his belief that he does no wrong, even when there is physical proof, his abuse and violation of women, calling a woman crazy because the woman has turned him down. These are just things that make him a younger version of Trump. Yeah, the it's it's really interesting, and the ratings specific that the and talking about people wanting to be him, being envy jealous of him, all that. Yeah, yeah. There's some real parallels. It's, it's fascinating. I could not be more relieved that he's stuck in Mexico because that means he won't run for any sort of political office. Great call, because I could absolutely see that coming. Hundred um, percent. And the last thing I wrote down, you referring to Harry Styles. As your boy <laughs> was an absolute chef's kiss of a moment. Uh, the anger, the like, the mother hen, I'm going to come in and protect him. I, I liked that a lot. Thank you. And good God, Joe, do not try and align yourself. Don't Harry wouldn't, do, wouldn't be into it. Keep his name out of your head. <laughs> Paris Hilton. And Harry Styles. Yeah. That's how we feel. That's yeah. how we feel. 100%. Oh, my God. I mean, this, I don't even have words 
for how horrific this man is. I know. And you know what's interesting is I remember those videos, obviously. I remember this time. Yeah. I knew that he was kind of a bad guy or I had had that perception. But when I watched that documentary, I was like, we need to be talking about this. This man has been a fugitive from the law for 10 years. How has this not been all over the news? Like, the the level of, of ways that he's, like, diverting the system, um, all of it. I hadn't heard about any of this. I hadn't heard about the domestic violence thing. Obviously, I know it was reported, but it feels like it wasn't reported in large kind of publications necessarily. Uh, or maybe I just wasn't paying attention. I don't know. But I was just, I felt passionately about telling the story because to me, it's like, this is extreme. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. It's, I mean, it doesn't fully describe it, but it's bad. It's bad. It's, it's really bad. bad. Yeah. And the fact too that like, I want to remind you, like he did plead no contest to child abuse and prostitution charges. He did do time for tax evasion. He did time for being in uh, contempt of court. Like there's a there's a rap sheet here. Um, and I would have thought that maybe that would have added to maybe the U.S. government being like, hey, maybe we should go get him. Like, it's just wild to me that if you get convicted of a crime and you're out on bail, that then you can just leave the country and never have to deal with it. Right? Yeah. Like, it feels like they should maybe outlaw that. <laughs> yes. Like, wouldn't all rich guys just do that? Yeah. I think, wasn't it like Roman Polanski had something where he couldn't come back to America or there was something with him too where it was like he was wanted on, oh, yeah. on you know, child sex charges and he had to avoid, I'm, I'm blanking. But yeah, like it's just interesting to me that, yeah, I guess if you have enough money, unfortunately, you can be above the law. Because that's the thing. It's like if he's got enough money to live comfortably, mm -hmm. then why would he even need to come back? Yeah, I mean, that resort that he built rents out for like $14,000 to $25,000 a night. So I think the bulk of his income over the last little while has been Casa Aramara because, which is also why it's fascinating to me that it burned down. Look, it could be completely have been an accident. Sure. I'm not, you know, who knows? But it was just really interesting to me that it was like, that's the main, that's where he was living and that was his main source of income as far as i know he, he right. can't make the videos anymore the internet killed that that's a relief yeah i mean it's been replaced with things that are just as vile but yeah oh yeah the internet's a whole but it's a whole it's, but again but you know what honestly the thing i kept thinking throughout all of this was like people who adult adult movie performers have agency they are doing a job that they are receiving financial compensation for and they are in control, right? Sure. The idea that we allowed, and as far as I know, there is no laws protecting people from signing contracts when intoxicated. Like, how is that not a law? That if the person is showing signs of intoxication, then the the it's not binding. I mean, they have footage of these women. We know how drunk they were. And we know also, again, like these young girls, like the story of Janelle being 18 and being fed drinks, 100 pounds, like it's it's just every they're just all getting set up to be completely taken advantage of. Um, 
And and I, that was one of the quotes that I loved of of Lee Sullivan's too, which was like, they are just youngins. It's so simple and it's so true that it's like, these are like yes. kids, that these adult men are coming into town, going into these small towns or, you know, beach towns and literally just preying upon all of the young girls. And clearly he said many times that he has a real thing for the real young ones. So again, they're targeting the ones that look the youngest for some of it. Which is such a disgusting level. And I mean, you were right that the time frame of early 2000s, like hyper sexualization of younger girls became such a huge thing. And it's just gotten so much worse all the time. Like, I didn't think it would get worse, but it's gotten worse. Uh, and I wanted to write some very specific things about Kelly Ripa, but I won't. And but. again, I, I feel like, again, she was definitely a product of that time period. I'm not defending the things she said, but but also, you know, but again, it, it's a great example. It's a great example of like a, a snapshot of that time that that was happening and it was fine, even when the girl being asked was clearly uncomfortable and yeah. stated, this is really weird. It's daytime television and I'm 17. Didn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. This was also the era of the crotch shots. Where celebrity gals would get out of cars and paparazzi would shove cameras to get try and get pictures of their vaginas. <laughs> like it's, yeah. I mean, yes, I, I, th the one thing I will say is that I don't think that I'm not saying that things have gotten like so much better, but I at least think that we have shifted in um, some of these predatory practices, which thank sure. God, because when you think about it, when you hear about it now, it just turns the stomach. Yes. Um, also just for everyone, keep Lindsay Lohan out of your mouth, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, I, like Joe yeah. didn't specifically say anything. So I was like, I can't say him and Kelly Ripa, uh, just don't. But like Lindsay Lohan, leave her alone. They, this is leave the other alone. thing. They destroyed those girls back then. Lindsay yep. Lohan, Paris Hilton, all of those, the, the, that kind of era of celebrity, those young gal, Britney Spears, oh, all yeah. of them were getting constantly attacked, sexualized, uh, criticized, objectified, all of this stuff, like to a level that, again, I feel like now would not be, I mean, listen, the internet, of course, is a whole, but this was major publications at the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, at least now there's a shift that like, we're not just like calling these women horrible things and Again, trying to photograph their vaginas as they're just trying to get yeah. out of the car. Yeah. yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, they're currently going after Britney again. Or I, I should know. say still because they never stopped. No, they never stopped. It's just like, leave her the fuck alone. I know. I know. It's so overwhelming. It is. Uh, but I have to say, Laura Nash, thank you for your research. We appreciate your willingness to wade through the nightmares to bring us this crazy journey. Amazing work. Your mother hen is proud. Oh, thank you very much. And thank you, dear listeners, for taking this journey with us. We appreciate the support. As always, make sure to give us a follow on the socials. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails or on Twitter 
at Not Detectives. And if you're looking for ways to spend some extra time with these two chuckleheads, head over to patreon.com slash truecrimeandcocktails. There are polls for future episodes, monthly live Q&As, bonus episodes where you get a real sneak peek into our batshit lady bromance. So if you want more, Patreon is the place to go. And if you're looking to snag any True Crime and Cocktails merch, head to truecrewmerch.com, the only place to get official True Crime and Cocktails gear. Lauren, would you like to tell the people about our next episode? Of course I would. On the next True Crime and Cocktails, People's Temple. That's right. I've been doing some wading through nightmares myself <laughs> and for, trying to cover that. For those who don't know, this is, of course, the Jonestown Massacre, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Oh, boy. And it's the April Patreon poll pick. That's right. I didn't right. say that the way I intended, but the point is, oh, God, yeah, next week we're going to get into Jim Jones, Jonestown. Yep. Uh, it's a horror show, I'll tell you that right now. Lauren... Would you like to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Harry Styles. Good night, Lee Sullivan. Yeah.